again Don't know when Don't know when But I know we'll meet again Some That's nice. Sunny this is great music to play over a nuclear holocaust site. It you know, really any is. Any kind of like <laughs> desolate wasteland. It's absolutely Didn't they perfect. use this in uh, Fallout? Fallout, yeah. I don't think so. They, but the they same used a bunch kind of, of other thing. songs. They the used a bunch of, of yeah, yeah, these old songs where it's just too cheery. Yeah, inspired by. Perfectly echoes through the halls of a destroyed DC. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what it's used for. <laughs> uh, and good evening, wherever you are, whenever you are. Welcome to the Knights of the Underground Table podcast. Uh, I am your host, John Garcia. With me, as always, is Ryan King. I heard that there's other people stealing our podcast secrets. They're trying to make a podcast exactly about movies. Same thing. Three guys, same commercials. We can't have a podcast gap. Yeah, we can't. We have can't a, have a I podcast agree. gap. We cannot. <laughs> Especially if they're going to get better gear than we're going to get. We need to get, get ahead of that. Yes. Yes. What Microphones if, everywhere. <laughs> what if during the nuclear holocaust they keep building podcasts and we can't keep up with them and then we come out afterward and they're way better than us? They're already oh, way man. ahead on the game. The great yeah. podcast uh-huh. race of 2077. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, and that other voice that you hear is, of course, uh, Michael Dixon. Uh, yes, I am Michael Dixon until the nuclear holocaust ensues, whenever that whenever that may be. So then he becomes uh, Mad Dicks. Is that how that oh, works? Yeah, or that? What do you ride for gasoline? <laughs> uh, sure, that, I was implying that I would not exist anymore, but that works. Mad, oh, okay, Mad yeah, Dicks sure. Is, yeah, I think that <laughs> I'll be irradiated. It's both, uh, both primed for a porno and the apocalypse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, tonight we were talking about uh, the film that you picked, Dixon. Um, it's a classic. Everybody knows it. That I it don't know that a lot of people now have seen it. I'm not entirely Maybe sure not. with what the yeah the cultural zeitgeist does, but with pop culture stuff going on lately and uh, some military conflict happening in certain <laughs> places of Slavic origin. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure why I've been thinking about this movie lately. You know, some I don't know. It's just been on my mind. So something about it. Mm-hmm. Something about <laughs> it, indeed. Um, but yeah, you picked uh, Doctor Strangelove. Um, Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. Absolutely. Or Ors colon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. yeah, Dr. Strangelove, uh, best title of any movie of all time and one of the best movies uh, that I've ever seen. Um, written, uh, you know, co-written by Stanley Kubrick, Terry Southern and Peter George and directed by Stanley Kubrick. Um, Dr. Strangelove takes place, uh, it came out in 1964, it takes place in the early 60s, kind of inspired by the Cuban Missile Crisis, and Kubrick was very concerned about nuclear holocaust and was reading a bunch of books about nuclear war and and where that would lead, and really couldn't get that off of his mind, and so decided he needed to make this movie. Um, It's based on a book, I think it's called Red Alert. Yeah, Red Alert. The book is a serious story and he set out to make a serious film. And then as he was making it, realized that it was too funny not to make into a comedy. (laughs) Um, And, you know, him and uh, his producer kept like laughing as they were working on the script. And they were like, "Okay, we have to make this a comedy. Also, it's way too fucking dark if we do this uh, seriously. I would argue that it's probably actually darker as as a comedy than it is as a serious film. Um, yeah, I haven't maybe. seen the serious yeah. version, but um, yeah. So, so Doctor Strangelove is about um, a nuclear mishap uh, where a an Air Force general decides to go rogue and capitalize on what is called Plan R, which was passed 
in order for a general to be able to launch nukes in the event that the chain of command is disturbed and Russia sneak attacks Washington, D.C., killing the president. We need to make sure that we can take down as many fucking people with us as possible. So we need our generals to be able to launch nuclear bombs at their discretion. So uh, General, uh, you know, goes on a, um, you know, goes a little funny in the head as President uh, Merkin Mufflin, <laughs> Muffler, Mufflin, whatever, Merkin something, uh, we'll say. Um, but, uh, you know, he sends the, the order to the planes that are circling Russia to go to their targets and drop their payloads. And uh, the president finds out about this and is unable to stop it because of the specifics of the plan. All the planes are ordered to shut down their communication systems once they receive the codes, unless the, the code they receive is uh, has a certain prefix in front of it, made up of three letters. There are an insane amount of combinations possible, so it's really not possible to just go through and guess. And the general is the only one who knows the codes. So the U.S. president and his generals are trying to figure out how the fuck to stop nuclear war. And uh, shit just, uh, you know, shit gets crazy from there. Yeah, I like how you're... It's- it does sound like the serious version. <laughs> like, it's funny, I swear. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Kubrick does a really great job of finding comedy in the absurdity of the fact that we can just destroy everyone on the planet at any time. Right. You know? And there's this massive sort of Damocles over the entire species. And kind of the only way to deal with that is to laugh about it, you know? Um you know, the movie's called, you know, How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb. I think there's an interesting kind of fatalism in the film where it's like, you know, well, this is going to happen at some point in all likelihood. The human race is going to die from nuclear holocaust and not like we can fucking do anything about it. So, you know, <laughs> might, might as well not not be concerned. We could get um, to him first. Like now, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, uh, Peter Sellers plays uh, three roles in the film: uh, President Merkin Mufflin, uh, group ca- group, group captain, captain Lionel Mandrake, Mandrake a yep. British RAF officer who is uh, in an officer transfer program. Is that a thing? Yeah, I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, reporting to uh, General exchange. Jack Ripper, who's the guy who goes crazy and uh, and sends the nukes, and then he also plays Doctor Strangelove himself. Uh, who is a former Nazi running the U.S. Uh, weapons <laughs> development program. So um, that's fun. He was also supposed to play the fighter pilot and got injured and they replaced him with Slim Pickens, who's fucking great. Amazing. I, can't, yeah. I can't picture Sellers in that role. So I'm, I'm very glad that happened and Slim Pickens ended up, ended up doing that. But um, George C. Scott is also fucking incredible as an Air Force general. General Buck uh, Turgidson. Yes, Buck Turgidson. <laughs> and uh, then Sterling Hayden is, is so great as, as Jack D. Ripper. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love this movie. It's one of my favorite films. I think it is just such an incredibly biting satire about the stupidity of the U.S. military and the stupidity of the nuclear arms race and, and all this stuff that we do in the name of national security that is actually making everyone so much more uh, fragile and, and uh, you know, likely to perish because we keep doing this stupid shit. And it's like if you ask more than like three questions, the entire concept of nuclear weapons unravels completely. But no one ever did that. You know, <laughs> no one ever stopped to ask, hey, should we should we do maybe we shouldn't do this. Um, 
So I, I think the, the film is hilarious and it's just always timely, right? Like as long as we have nuclear weapons, the film is always going to be very timely for the moment. Um, I think, you know, given the current uh, conflict in Ukraine and Russia and the U.S. warmongering about potentially doing a no-fly zone or engaging Russia in a more direct way. Um, you know, I've been thinking about nuclear war a lot lately and wanted to revisit this film. And uh, it's just every time I watch this, I love it. It's just it's like a fucking perfect movie. Yeah, um, I think the first time I saw this movie actually might have been last year. Uh, because we got a, Dixon and I got into an arms race of Criterion Collection. We did. Yeah. Um, who could who could have more and win? Uh, and that was kind of the the thing that tipped me off. The to Criterion Collection it. arms race, though, we can both win. It's you know? true. Everybody wins <laughs> at that. Yeah. I don't think anybody is really going to no suffer. Loses. There's yeah. like a wallet that yeah, probably takes Criterion a, a bit of a quite yeah. a bit ahead, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there There's no go. mutually assured destruction. Yeah, everybody wins in a Criterion Arm race. It's, there's no way around it. I feel like a huge winner. <laughs> <laughs> My wallet doesn't, but, you know, the rest of it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, and so when I saw this, uh, after I, I sat down and watched it, I remember watched it with Sasha the first time, and we were about halfway through it. Um, I, was, I was, I would say grinning. I wasn't laughing out loud at a lot of the things, but the moment that the general, that Ripper started talking about bodily fluids, mm -hmm. I started to get a little loopy <laughs> and was like, wait, what is happening? <laughs> it was like having a, and then the moment that the base was assaulted was when I just burst out laughing at how absurd <laughs> everything was. And Sasha was like, what is funny about all of these people dying? And I was like, it's so fucking stupid. <laughs> all of this happening is just all because of this. The circumstance is so dumb. Uh, and I, I really was having my own kind of personal experience with it. Cause my dad had told me for a long time, Oh yeah, Dr. Strange love. It's great. Peter Sellers is great. But my dad always goes on like one of those, like how many degrees of separation from something when he starts talking about movies that are classics. And he was like, Peter mm. Sellers. Great. Got to see pink Panther, pink Panther, Steve <laughs> Martin. He's great in those remakes. And I'm like, dad, stop. Oh, no, I don't no, want to no. come. I don't want to go here. I don't want to go to that, that place. It's fine. Uh, and so I was always like, all right, Dr. Strange level. I'll check it out one day. Um, but yeah, it took, took Dixon's uh, arm race, arms race with me and my criterion collection <laughs> to really push me to do it. So, uh, yeah, thanks to the, thanks to you, Dixon, um, pushing me in that direction. It's great to watch it twice now in two years, uh, this time a little bit more anxious, but yeah. you know, it's kind of calming in its own way and <laughs> yeah. kind of it like a nihilistic like, evisceration of uh -huh. <laughs> my concerns. It's oddly comforting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but those are my initial two cents about it. Uh, Ryan. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen it. I've definitely seen it a, a fair number of times. I think I first saw it at maybe high school, maybe junior high school. Same thing. My dad was like, oh, this movie's funny. I think I'd already watched A Shot in the Dark and a couple of Pink Panthers. So I was already pretty aware of like Sellers, um, who completely like disappears into yes. these roles, which he generally mm -hmm. does. And is just great. Like it's great. Yeah. Uh, how differently he can play them, like some for laughs, some for pity, some like just a normal guy, more and a crazy everything else around him. Yeah. Um, yeah and then, yeah, it's definitely something I've like re repeated and quoted, even if people around me don't get it and, and think of um, watching it again. It has been a while since I watched it. So I try to kind of look at it with a more like, OK, what what exactly was Kubrick? Now, you know, I've seen 
think everything else that Kubrick has done mm. and a, a much more breadth of movies since then. So trying to look at it in that eye, um, the thing that kind of struck me was how slow it starts. Mm. And you're right before it kind of gets to that point of like, there's the couple of hints of bodily fluid. And then when it goes into the full on crazy dialogue of clean water and bodily fluids and all that. And it just begins to more and more unravel until by the end, it just is outright comedy. Yeah. Like clearly, uh, but it takes a bit for it to get to that. And then it quickly unravels. It did make me think of airplane because Actually, that's, yeah, yeah. I was totally going to say that. Earlier. It, oh, yeah. Man. Also based, <laughs> also based on a serious take zero on, hour. I yeah. On zero hour. Yeah. yeah. And that it's then putting it on top of it. Obviously airplane is much more of the zany. And this one is, is the satirical, but the same, like there is an underlying plot, but at a point it doesn't really matter. And the, the comedy is kind of everything that's in spite of the reality. Um, mm. So yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. Also just the performances like, yeah, so, man, so fucking good. This so is one good. of the most well acted movies. Uh, it's, it's yeah. Except for Slim Pickens, who just is being himself straight yeah. up. <laughs> but, <he's laughs> but it's perfect. great. That's all he's they so know. Good. Just a yeah. cowboy. Yeah. I'm not, I mean, maybe George C. Scott's like that. That's in my head. That's the way George C. Scott is all the That's time. That's what too. I want George C. Scott to be like. George C. Scott is doing the best eye work I've ever seen. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. darting his eyes around <laughs> all the time. Just looking fucking absurd. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's perfect for for that role it's like like playing a you know a general is like a you know a hammer that only sees nails right it's like war is the solution to every problem yeah regardless of what is going on the solution is to escalate further and to kill more people <laughs> because losing is worse than death and yeah we have yeah. to just keep going yeah sits with his binder of targets of mega death <laughs> yeah. targets and mega deaths but he's terrified that the russian ambassador will see yeah, yeah. he like clutches it he's gonna see the big board uh, yeah like uh, the 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 part that first caught me of like how great he is at that is when the president like shuts him down and he like sticks a gum in his mouth and he crosses his arms and you have the shot yeah. below and he looks like a petulant child. Just a just huge like, man child. Yeah. Like the whole movie. It's great. He must eat like five packs. Of oh gum yeah. In the course of this movie. How many, and you never see him spit any of it out. Is yeah, he just, just keeps eating going. it? Is he like yeah. Sean Spicering that shit and just eating as much gum as he can? It, it explains why there's yeah. so much gum in those emergency packs on the airplane. <laughs> yeah. When he's outside the war room, he hides in the bushes. <laughs> Doesn't want anybody to talk yeah. to Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was, yeah, I've already kind of diverted, but let's like, let's break it down and go through it but yeah no like i i've loved this movie for a long time yeah so we've we've got our three basically three different threads of stories that we follow mm. throughout this that weave around each other and that is we start with um <clears throat> we start with the the with general ripper with the ripper initially yeah. he well no actually we start in the plane no oh. like for a moment we kind of get it because they give us like a oh they give us a crawl. This high level crawl yep. narrative well we start with planes fucking yeah yeah yes the very, very <laughs> yeah we sh close-up shots of bombers refueling in mid-flight and just yeah. with this very uh you know kind of light romantic music playing in the background yes yeah <laughs> some nice phallic plane noses uh, yeah. yeah we get some fictional disclaimer or a disclaimer that like the air force promises the military promises this will never happen uh, they have all this but whatever it's a good kind of stage setting for what's going to unfold um and then, yeah, after after the refueling, we kind of get to the segment of Ripper giving the initial code to to go um, to sellers to as sellers. Mandrake. Yeah, as Mandrake. And there's a, a whole discussion where uh, here you can see 
um, the first failing of this system as there's no required confirmation from another authority, like another authority figure in the chain of command. Sellers is just like, that's serious, huh? Like, oh, it's, it must be the Ruskies or something. And I love when Mandrake like, yeah. calls him and he's like, it looks like we're in a shooting war. And Sellers goes, oh, hell. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah very reaction. <laughs> like, uh, okay. <laughs> the, that Also, that whole conversation about like, do you recognize my voice? And he's like, we were just talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so they, they issue the code uh, to the plane, uh, the bomber, one of the several, all of the bombers, the fleet of bombers they have surrounding. They're all uh, 34 bombers, about two hours away from their target is what we're told. The 34 bombers and roughly um, half an hour outside of Russian radar detection. Mm-hmm. And we are uh, given kind of this, the insight into only one of them, the one that Slim Pickens is on and James Earl James Jones. Jones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And they, they get There's their... also a guy who looks just like Dennis Hopper. It's not Dennis Hopper, but yeah. he looks just like Dennis Hopper. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis almost Hopper. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they get that go code and they start kind of unfurling all of this bureaucracy within the plane yeah. to even get things going. They're like, all right, we got to switch to all of these communications. We got to use like the safe and open it up for the plan R. It's like this big packet. Um, that I love that first later. there's another safe that he opens up first and it has his cowboy it's hat his, inside yeah, of it. Yeah. And he swaps out his like pilot helmet for his cowboy hat. And he gives this speech about like, it looks like we're going to nuclear combat toe to toe with the Ruskies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> just getting serious. I'm putting my fucking cowboy hat on. Slim Pickens. It's like one of the funniest yeah. visual gags of, of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and you're just getting to see like all the complicated different there's this emphasis in the plane too, in later scenes as well, when they're doing anything with how overly complicated yeah. it is for them to do something, but how that overcomplication is just completely bypassed. By yeah, like it doesn't matter. Several, yeah. yeah. It's all uh. just bullshit. Um, so we, we get that whole scene where they're setting up the planes to go. They're all going in, they're getting ready. Uh, and then we kind of cut back to, um, it, do we cut back to Ripper first? Or do we cut back to at, the, at some point Ripper seals off communications I think it's Ripper first. Yeah, yeah. He, he tells Mandrake to confiscate all the radios. And Mandrake is is doing that and in, in process finds one, turns it on, sees that there's still radio broadcasts going on. And he's like, oh, well, then there's no way this is real. Like if we were under, if there had been a nuclear attack, there wouldn't be civilian radio broadcasts going. Yeah. Or, you know, civilian radio broadcast would have maybe been interrupting with emergency broadcast signals to right. let people know. Something, uh-huh. yeah. Um, so he, yeah, I know he, he has that kind of suspicion at this point, kind of the base, the army base that they're in is, uh, they're like locked off. Yeah. They're, they're completely locked, locked down. down. They have no external communication. And he tells them like, assume anyone that comes up is a Russian, the even is potentially coming, wearing our yeah. outfits. Mm. All of our Shoot fatigues. first, ask questions yeah. later. Uh, because I would rather have some accidental deaths than to lose <laughs> everyone on this base. Like, I don't know that yeah. that is the, you know, really the question you're dealing with. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then we get we get kind of the, we get the, the like phone call to Buck that his secretary quote unquote takes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's that's the first introduction. Who's to the also third. on the cover of Playboy that uh, yes, the, Slim Pickens, Slim Pickens is Pickens has. Yeah, <laughs> and so I, I will say that was one moment as I think about it in like in the view of movies where that is the only female character we get in the mm-hmm. movie, and we're presented with this especially towards the end, this sort of like this is boys oh, yeah. right trying to solve a problem and, boys and all this stuff yeah. yeah boys playing war and how they're just like trying to outmasculine each other 
I kind of feel like having the one female we see be so sexualized, I think that was supposed to be the impression, right, of what, especially with the other stuff, but I was like, but then it also sort of diminishes any, like, what, what, a woman could be different from these men potentially. So I did wonder that was like a diminishing thing. It's like, Oh, we see one woman and she's just completely a sex object. I feel like there was a representation of how all of these generals and politicians view women. I think so. And you know, like George G. Scott's interactions with her are hilarious. Like when she calls him in the war room, like yeah, she has she yeah. a direct line to the war room in the Pentagon. And he's like, Hey baby, I told you never call me here. Do you know where I am? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> My president needs me. I love him having that private conversation while they're, they're sifting through the different books for a plan of action. Uh, yeah. And he's, yeah, he's back there. Like, just wait a minute. I'll be back. And yeah. Bucky, Oh, Bucky, he'll be back. Yeah. Uh, of course I love you. <laughs> I'm going to make you Mrs. Buck Turgis yeah. someday. Yeah. It, I think that I get, right? That's where I'm like, I get that it's like the point is that, but it, it does then stand in stark contrast. It's like, that's the only yeah. inkling that we see. And so they could take an interpretation of like, oh, the the movie thinks of women as sex objects. Again, if you don't dig deep enough into like the core of. Yeah. It is pointing out like men's failings, but it doesn't do anything to be like there's an alternative, which I think it's not supposed to be. But yeah, yeah, I think it's definitely a criticism of masculinity and it's not necessarily elevating females in the process. Right. Um, but I think also it's just so focused on dudes. Yeah. <laughs> also, it's interesting to look at this in the context of Lolita, which he made two years ago, also with sell two years, two years before Strange Love, also with sellers. And that movie is also like eviscerating on male sexuality and it's not like there are positive female characters but it's mostly about how these dudes are really shitty and yeah um you know i I think it you know seeing that and then seeing strange love i think it's clear that that's what he's doing and he's not sexualizing uh the secretary for the sake of sexualizing her it's like to add more to these male characters and show how shitty they are right right but it's all it can be a blink if you blink and you miss it when you think about Absolutely. it being like that's the yeah. one female character that we even get a moment with I, I and feel she's like in a bikini if you introduce mm. <laughs> it yeah and this is me getting to the speculatory territory here but it's kind of that problem of you might be trying to do too much if you introduce a stronger female inspire like yeah. image to show the contrast. It might be a little too ham fisted with how you're presenting what's going on. It's like any movie that I've seen with, um, <clears throat> with kind of like a toxically masculine figure, like antihero or otherwise that's trying to comment on how bullshit it is um, that, that like men get into these pissing contests of, of all the sort um, they end up having, they're just setting the example in that way that satire does where you're showing what this person does wrong and hoping that it, it hits a chord that's relatable with the audience that's watching it. Like a bunch of guys that are scared about the commies coming to like bomb them watching this movie (laughs) might start to think, Hey, wait a minute. Um, Like they were on board in the first half. And then (laughs) as it continues to go, they're like, wait, this seems ridiculous. Like this is kind of crazy. Um, and so I, I feel like that's really more the pull that's going on here than it would be to say, let's try to balance this and show what, what a strong woman would do in this situation. Or Yeah, and I, I don't know. I think it could just be if you maybe even just take a step further to actually like lampshade it a bit by having mm-hmm. some kind of comment about like women or something and then be like, oh, no, we've got it. 
Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Somebody who's like, hey, I have those plans, and they like take her plans and throw them away or something. Right. That, that would yeah, be, that yeah. would be enough to I just have show the, how they, I have the diplomatic they proceedings anything. for the negotiation, Mr. President. And <laughs> George C. Scott's like, but Mr. President, we can't negotiate with the Ruskies. You already know that. And yeah, like, yeah. Just, just throws, throws it away. away. Yeah. Yeah. That would okay, be yeah. enough to yeah, just yeah. sort of like be like, more lampshading that piece. Okay. I, yeah. the, part of it is like what you just said. I'm like, we know the people that watch Jarhead and made Jarhead two Absolutely. and three and four and five yes. that I'm like, there could have been a, you know, in a different day and time, there'd be a Dr. Strange love too. And it would just be all in about Bob and the <laughs> yeah, commies. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because you'd miss like that point. Yeah. Um, so we, where, where are we at? We got off on Sorry, a tiny tangent. On a tangent. There. No, that was an interesting yeah, so, tangent to discuss. So it yeah. takes yeah. everything to get, uh, uh, to get Buck, Buck to come to, to the come war to the room. phone and then to go to the war room. I love when he's on the phone and he just slaps his bare stomach <laughs> yes. as like hard as he can. And it's like that's that really set the comedic tone for the movie and for his character to me. Like when he did that, I was like, okay, yeah, this is this is gonna be fucking wild. Yeah, just. and I, it's also funny that he he kind of pitches the problem, the emergency in the war room as just a little something. I'll be right back. Like I'll uh, be back before you can even blah blah blah. Or like whatever his Morgan say blast off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you just get ready for old Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it just speaks to kind of that um that abstraction at that level of power where you're like oh there's just numbers were shifting we'll just move these yeah. bombers here we'll do all of this other stuff mm. nobody in that war room has to lay their life on the line for any of this and it shows in every conversation they have yeah oh yeah because well then that's followed up with the him actually describing what the problem is and how long it takes them to explore every last avenue that it goes from like 30 minutes in radar range to 15 minutes in radar range with them just <laughs> going over like, well, how can that be? How can that be? What, what about this? What about this? I yeah. thought I was the only person who could authorize nuclear force. <laughs> well, do you remember plan R, sir? Yeah. <laughs> like, why can't we contact them? Well, uh, you know, there's a specific code and we're trying. It's going to take us 17 days. Yeah. <laughs> Two and a half days. Yeah. There's also that like that threshold, that point of no return where the president says, uh, well, well, when they reach the fail-safe point, won't they seek out confirmation? You're like, well, they've been flying at the fail-safe point. Like, uh, <laughs> that's where we start from. Where we start. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You start on the edge. Yeah, exactly. It, it just is like, okay, well, all of those barriers have already been superseded. Um, I think that in one of those, like, featurettes in the, the Blu-ray, uh, they interviewed, like, an, the actual um, – one of the military generals around the time from 61 to like 67. Oh, Robert McNamara. Is yeah, it was a Robert, yeah. yeah, Robert McNamara. And he was just talking about how like, oh yeah, he asked uh, what the, what the, the escalation policy would be. And like one of the other kind of military heads was like, oh, well, you know, if that fails, we go to plan F and then it's like plan G and then H. And he's like, well, what happens after that? And he's like, well, there's a nuclear war. And it was just like so casual yeah, that he kind of no said that <laughs> it, only, it only goes up. And McNamara said in that feature, he's uh, like, you know, the, the NATO nuclear response policy is fucking insane. And so is the U.S. one. And I told tell Kennedy never to do that. Like, yeah, because like the policies in place are horrible. And this was filmed in out of the mid 2000s. And he was like, they're still the same. Like, there's still this fucked up thing where like we have to respond if we're attacked by a nuclear weapon and it's just like, that's so stupid. Why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's so absurd to, uh, so like we get to, yeah, we're past the war room after the president's been introduced. By the way, when I watched this the first time around, I didn't pay too close attention to Peter Sellers as the president. Mm -hmm. I thought he was a completely different person. <laughs> He's so he good. does such a great job yeah. in that role, uh, of, of going between being kind of like, a bit of a strong leader to immediately being like 
a, a I don't even know. It was like a teenager on the phone with somebody oh who was talking God. to Dimitri. Conversation. Oh it's my God. So great. Which are great comedic, the one man on a telephone bits that yeah. Seller does so well. It, it really sells you on the whole conversation, fills in the gaps for you. You don't have to hear anything yeah. on the other end mm. to know kind of what's being said. And oh, it's I'm hilarious. more sorry than you are, Dimitri. <laughs> of course, we you don't think that I feel that way? Sorry. Yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> I, I love to how Turgidson is so upset. Like, what, you're calling the Russian premiere? What? No, like, we can't we can't yeah. talk with them. And then he gets, gets him on the phone. He's like, hi, Dimitri. Well, uh, you know, oh, it's lovely to talk to you, too. You're coming through fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, just well, about not like the plan are barreling yeah. toward their targets and we they're just a, like small a, talking. A little something yeah. to talk about. Like, yeah. Well, you know how we've always talked about us. Something might go wrong with the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> we've had a slip up. <laughs> well, a, one of our generals got a little funny in the head and he went and did a silly thing. <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Yeah, it is it's that so trying good. to break the news to your spouse over the phone kind of conversation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, the house burned down. It was, you know, the boy was there but he, he had a little role in it and <laughs> great. well um, he told his planes to attack your country yeah. <laughs> well do you think i'm happy about this yeah. <laughs> absolutely love those scenes those were what made me probably laugh the hardest in this mm -hmm. movie there are other obviously there's plenty of other things to laugh about in it but uh yeah so we get that that whole they bring in the russian premiere they bring in the russian ambassador yeah to, the ambassador, to get them yeah. in contact with the premiere mm -hmm. which is where like there's initially a scuffle between Turgidson <laughs> and the ambassador. He grabs all his stuff. He's like, "Can't let him in here. He'll, he'll yeah. see everything. He'll see the big he'll board. See the big, so the big board. board." And he like shows his, his focus on the big board is just great. <laughs> I know. Uh, and they, they they're like scuffling over by the where the food is and the cigars and like. I'm unclear whether Turgidson is trying to plant a camera on the ambassador or whether the ambassador actually had a camera on him. Like, they're both absurd characters and you don't really know. I imagine probably Turgidson is trying to plant that camera on him, but also, like, why would he just be carrying that around? There's yeah, also, we do see the camera later. We well, see a pocket a watch, one. but it's a different camera. So yeah. he already had one. He might or, be multiple. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the point is more um, that, that at that point, the ambiguity is to feed into that red scare kind of paranoia of like did he have that camera like people who aren't questioning whether churches implanted him on it or not the thing is you're focusing way more on this microscopic bullshit because even if he takes those photos you're all dead when the nuclear <laughs> holocaust right. yeah, is yeah. so there's just that moment of like the the movie takes a moment to give buck a mo to like a focus of like i'm still really fixated on what's in this room not what's out there uh and it's yeah. it's brilliant also because the president breaks them fighting like children to be like, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room, which is just a great line. Obviously it's yeah. one of the classics. We kill other people in this room, not yeah. each other. <laughs> also, I love that big table of food. It's like just, I know it's a setup for the pie fi scene that didn't happen. And we can talk about that later, I'm sure. But the, just, there's so much, absurd food on this huge long table that none of them are touching right like they're yeah. all sitting around the war room table they're not looking at the food and to me that seemed like a um like a critique of military spending you know it's like the pentagon has just so much money it's like oh we have this random meeting in the middle of the night that's super urgent everybody got here at 3 30 in the morning and we have a we huge spread, spread full of gourmet food <laughs> yeah. and and uh your choice of jamaican or havana cigars yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, so we, we get 
kind of through that initial war room broaching of this subject, they're trying we to talk. We should briefly this talk about the set of yeah, the war room because that thing is fucking wild and it's built for the movie. And it's this huge, massive room with like 30 foot ceilings and it's, it's 130 feet by 100 feet and this, this massive circular table that they're all sitting around. And it looks fucking great. It looks badass. And one of the funniest things to me about that is that when Ronald Reagan was inaugurated, he was like, hey, guys, where's the war room? And they were like, well, we don't have one of those. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, no, no. Yeah, you do. I saw it in that movie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'm going to show me to the war room now, bucko. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the the war rooms are just like a conference room and a table, right? Like, and yeah, that's all it's ever been. <laughs> An overhead projector. It's like the same, <laughs> but just to have that, yeah. Because it, I think what Kubrick was looking at the designs for the room. Um, I can't who drew those up. I can't remember who it was. It was I don't remember his name, but the, but the set designer. He worked with him uh, previously, I think. But. Yeah, and and he had drawn. He was looking at these these drawings, and Kubrick was like, "What's." what is that? Is this drawn as a triangle? And he was like, yeah, it's a, like a triangular prism kind of structure. He's like, isn't a triangle like the strongest geometric figure? And he was like, absolutely it is. <laughs> and he's like, oh, this is great. Well, how would this be reinforced? He was like, concrete. He's like, oh, it's like a bomb shelter. Immediately just falls into place for this film. Mm-hmm. Um, just so appropriate that that entire war room looks like it's built like a bunker anyway. They can just hunker yeah, down there. It just is this like gray in the back that, you kind of don't get a sense of it's so dark what in it the is. corners yeah. of the room. Like it almost looks like it never ends. Yeah. Yeah. And those giant boards with so little information on them. A bunch yeah. of lights <laughs> that are all blinking and lines that you can yeah. only assume what it might be. I've made so many executive dashboards and graphs that are the same thing. They, they give <laughs> no information, but they're huge and pretty to look at have to talk about it they have have blinking lights yeah five words and then people are like yeah he knows what he's talking about up to the right yeah (laughs) boom they have Um, russia upside down yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) it's on the other side of the world okay hey i mean you know technically you know directions are bullshit so you know however whatever perspective you want to look at russia that's fine but (laughs) i was like wait a minute what is that oh that's oh okay that's russia yeah yeah um yeah and there's also this is kind of where there's a in any Kubrick film, his f- photographic lens shows through. Like you can tell he's got the photographer's eye. Mm-hmm. And in here you get that whole distance of, even though these are all like the heads of, of the military of this executive branch, they're supposed to be talking about this. They're so distant. The table's huge. <laughs> <laughs> you just yeah. have to be, and it, it captured, it's captured perfectly in these like wide shots where you feel like you're uh, voyeuristically watching this conversation go down between about three people at a time yeah, <laughs> as right. they ask for something. There are only like rummage. five people in that room that ever talk. It's like yeah, the there's president, so many background his assistant, people. Uh, George C. Scott, the ambassador and strange love. And I think that's it. That's it. Yeah. 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 Like I think about like medical operating rooms when you're observing and how they have kind of the cascading stadium audience. Yeah. Seating. yeah. That would be a much more efficient way. Just have the main heads of military, whatever, <laughs> talking down there and all these other people. But in this instance, it demonstrates how like bloated and kind of bureaucratic the process is that he's got to drag like 40 other people into this meeting real quick <laughs> and to. then have yeah. like three conversations <laughs> about something with whoever else a is couple, there. A couple key people talk and everyone else just sits there. <laughs> and somebody else has to, they don't even have like the numbers on hand at one point. And the president asks for something, they take like five minutes while George C. Scott chews gum in the corner <laughs> to go and sift through binders and try to find what they're looking for. 
George C. Scott in this movie is like the definition of chewing the scenery, just in the best way possible. Yes. He's just it's it's just wonderful to watch. What what is that one? There's a scene where he's trying to talk to. I think it's when the Russian ambassador shows up and he's talking about the big board. He goes to move and oh, he God. falls and does a pratfall <laughs> kind of and like rolls back up and is immediately still into it. Like yeah. Mr. Brett, you can't let him in here. It's yeah. just a great which a, moment. Of which about to clobber him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was apparently a take that Kubrick kept not and was just like that's awesome like is he stays in character when he gets back up and it does work so well that he's just like so freaking out and then he trips but just keeps and somehow everyone at the big table just stays chill (laughs) laser focused yeah Yeah. nobody cares it's uh, i think everybody else is really intimidated to be on a kubrick set or something yeah (laughs) like um it's gonna yell at me so yeah we 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 gotta go through that segment of the war room the war room is really more it's the uh, failed attempt to de-escalate any of this. Uh, that's our that's our plot thread there. We always we'll cut back to um, I think it's the the I think it's Ripper next as mm. we're talking between him and, and Mandrake. Um, and Mandrake is really trying to press Ripper to uh, call the boys off to figure out how he can fix this problem. This this film also does a great job for me. I felt like it was kind of like a B horror film in its own way. There's a bit of like that aspect of um, tension that's being pumped up in a, a campy way. Uh, and you get these, uh, but the tension still feels very real because of the concept of, or like the, the whole like nuclear backing to all of it. So there's these moments where uh, when Mandrake's talking to Ripper, Ripper's leaning back in a chair, smoking a cigar and you get kind of a power shot of him up. He's just a little bit tilted back in a casual stance. The the camera is like down at his waist, looking up at his chin and just billowing like a a fucking uh, like 18th or 19th century factory. Yeah. Smoking smoking like a chimney everywhere. And uh, he's talking about... I was going to say on your B-movie yeah. thought real quick, because that did kind of come up to me. It feels like those uh, kaiju movies where they're just like talking heads, yeah. right? Of like scientists and military while this other thing is going on in the background. And the shots of the B-52, yes. which honestly looks like a cardboard tube <laughs> yeah. just being flown over these landscapes. It's obviously like a model over the images. I was wondering like about Kubrick's take. Cause I think I watched this in like VHS copies on cruddy televisions back in the day. So this oh, one, I watched man. the 4k and I was like at a theater, it had to be obvious that that was like a model over. Oh yeah. Like, and that was a decision, There's which no is interesting. Doubt. Cause we do get shots of like when they're shooting at each other, we see like a military exercise. Like we actually see yeah. that realistic. We see planes at the beginning, realistic, but every time we cut back to Slim Pickens' plane, it's like a rinky-dink plane on on a string. On string, yeah, yeah. That I thought that in was front an interesting of choice. Footage that they actually took, like the right. camera crew yes. went and and flew over all of these icy Arctic areas and filmed all a of beautiful that footage, footage in the background. Yeah. yeah, but it's like just so clear. And I thought, yeah, that also added to that kind of B fifty, you know, sorry, B movie feel. Yeah. It, it really kind of hammers home that that campiness is supposed to keep you at arm's length from the more realistic, the movie taking itself too serious at a certain point. Uh, and it really lends to that kind of dark humor because you're getting these intersplice scenes of a general who's gone mad um, talking about how he's going to preserve culture and his bodily fluids <laughs> from the Kami onslaught. And then you go to the bomber that's carrying the nuke. Um, there's got to be some kind of distance you keep yourself at. And I feel like Kubrick did a great job of kind of making this backdrop of that beautiful footage with this really rinky dink plane. It's just so <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, jarring in its own way, 
but in the context of the film and the way that it threads into it, it's kind of beautifully campy and funny uh, and goofy to see it. Um, and then to see how massive the inside of the plane is with some of the, the bits. There's just like switches kind of everywhere. How, <laughs> how, like. how complicated it is compared to how simplistic the model on the outside looks. <laughs> it's just kind of goofy and absurd and reinforces that. Um I think the yeah. the Ripper scene where he first talks about bodily fluids, where they're they're shooting him from underneath, he's he's smoking like crazy, chewing the shit out of that cigar, and he's like, "I will not put up with communist infiltration into our precious bodily fluids." And then just hard cuts back to the war <laughs> yeah, room, and it's yeah. just like you're left like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cliffhanger. For it's, you. it's just like a huge laugh out loud moment in the film that's so good, and then they cut immediately back to the war room where they're actually trying to solve problems and you don't really have time to sit yeah and be like, wait what the fuck did he just say because you got to move on to the next thing and then but i in love the that war edit. Room. it's so good yeah it's just, great well then it's in that war room scene where after they're going through all of it he's like well we did get this phone call from ripper and george c scott reads out the phone call <laughs> and in there he also says something at the end about his bodily fluids and he's like we're still trying to figure out that last line yeah, yeah. <laughs> muffley is like well i think it's there's nothing to figure out he's clearly psychotic and george c scott goes well, I, I wouldn't want to judge a thing like that till all the facts are in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? He well, like, <laughs> launched nukes unprovoked at another country. Well, and then, yeah, then they have the conversation that's like, didn't we test them all? And he's like, well, one slipped through. Yeah. 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 He's yeah. like, it's a pretty good system. One yeah, slipped through. Yeah. I wouldn't uh, decry the entire system based on one one human error. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is hilarious. It's that uh, loyalty to your program and to your, your policy of trying to protect your steps. And it's funny to see George C. Scott like, yeah, roll it back for the president. In every regard, anytime that a policy is brought up or any of that, there's clear padding that, that uh, Buck is trying mm. to put on anything that he's telling the president. And it's this like cycle of sugarcoating for everybody. Of course, the plane is completely isolated. They get no word back from anybody outside of the go code. Um, but everybody else, the exception of Ripper, who is just trying to tell it like it is to himself, um, is, is trying to, you know, hey, Dimitri, well, how are you? I'm all fine here. I'm glad we're both <laughs> fine. And Buck at the same time, it's just that chain of command of trying to like soften it, soften the news for everybody. And at the same time, like you're reckoning with a life or death situation for like way more than just yourself. Um, and they can never admit, yeah. like there's never really an admitting that like, Try to yeah, we face. made a bad idea here. Maybe. Even, yeah. No. Yeah. Even yeah. up to the end, which of course we'll get to. Yeah. Yeah. Is that whole moment. <laughs> Um, and that's such like, that's such a perfect uh, critique of the U S military, you know, like post world war two, it's just go, 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 build as many weapons as we can invade as many countries as we can conquer as many people as we can. And like, there's like so many presidents on like on record, like not like two journalists, but like quoted by advisors as saying that like, holy shit, these generals are fucking idiots. Like all they want to do is bomb people. Like this is crazy. And yeah. you know, like with Iraq and Afghanistan and, and all these recent conflicts is just to say like the solution is always to keep fighting to escalate, never to pull out and admit that we can't solve the problem. Uh, it's just always, always up, up, up. Yeah. You never back down. Once you've, once you've gone in, you're all in right. Or nothing. Yeah. I guess. Never, never admit a mistake. Yeah. Uh, that would only make you more human. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we can't have them thinking we're humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have to think that we are, we are the dominant race. <laughs> Some kind of superhuman. <laughs> I want to, I want to talk about how Jack D Ripper is basically just Alex Jones and, and how yes. like oh my God. crazy conservatives 
are just like the craziest stra- strain strand of conservatism has always been this you know absurd person who thinks that the fluoride in the water is is killing us or sapping us of our essence or making the frogs gay or whatever it is you know <laughs> that's always been a conspiracy that's never made any sense and just this anti-communist red scare fear mongering it's just like everything that ripper was saying i was like yeah you hear this shit today from crazy right-wing people who yeah. either are insane or are just trying to stir people up and get get an audience and as as we learn from ripper when he's having a heart-to-heart with mandrake it comes from sexual inadequacy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, as, as he realizes yeah. his essence must have been tainted while it he's in the him. midst of having love, making love with a woman. And he kind of fails to, to kind of go through with, with whatever his performance was going to be. He and also so says just, like that he felt fatigued after yeah. yes. making love. And I was like, well, okay, that's just like how yeah. it works. Like, he interpreted that as like, a weakness. He was like too, yeah, that too was winded, weakness. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he, and then I like that he, he turns to Mandrake and is like, I, I still am with women. I just withhold from them. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't give them my essence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, when he goes off on that, so it purity tangent. of essence the whole time. He's just talking about jizz. That's yeah. What yeah. Yes. Exactly. His, his precious bodily fluids. Uh, yeah. He goes off on that that rant or whatever, and Mandrake. Is like, how long have you had this theory? Yeah. <laughs> when did you develop this theory? And I for sure thought he was going to be like, it's not a theory. Yeah. Like it's facts. Uh, I watched like an hour and a half of Channel 5 uh, on YouTube. Great to look out. But if you want some feels like satire, but scarily isn't, you kind of waver back and forth. He goes out and interviews people at like Flat Earth Conference or oh, wow. the one that he had up. He followed the trucker convoy. Yeah. recently and he was talking to all them and, and like every person has a different theory that all don't work together yes. uh-huh. but yeah. are exactly that same thing of like oh yeah well the government's been doing this with fluoride and just follows this crazy extrapolation and i was like yeah that moment hit way different today where i'm like oh man i've heard that a hundred uh-huh. times a hundred different ways and it, it's one of those things where like you this is getting off on a tangent that is a great channel to look at too because it's you give somebody a microphone and they'll just go and he'll yeah, tell he you everything. Yeah, he lets and him it, go. It tells you all that you want to know about how humans function socially. If you're willing to agree with me and we're not necessarily in a conflict with each other about anything conceptual, we can believe different things. It's like when you look at the Flat Earth Society, and this is going to get weird because I've done a lot of research into this. <laughs> but uh, Oh, is, like, it, is it flat? <laughs> the Earth is totally flat. <laughs> wow. Everybody knows. Uh, they just won't admit it to themselves. But like, there's fissures within, there's like factions oh, yeah, within Flat within Earth yeah. where some believe that, oh, you've got... Uh, is it a flat sun? You've got a flat sun or you've got <laughs> a dome over your thing or there's an ice wall with pirates around you and others are like, no, it's reptilians. And you're just like... Have any of these people tried to go to the edge? Nobody can they, do that. Nobody yeah. can do that because the they... The maps aren't real. No, they keep you from doing <laughs> Oh, yeah, you can't they do that. Do yeah. They do Yeah, they. It's always a they. There's they always an other. They've made the maps in a way that makes you go in a circle. Which ties us... <laughs> so yeah. you never realize... Or what if which, you just throw away the map? You just go figure it out yourself. Make your own map. <laughs> yeah, which which ties us back to there's always an other uh, in in the Red Scare times the other is Russia is uh, communism it's wherever you don't want something to be there it's you know it's McCarthyism yeah. totally epitomizes that mm-hmm. you can seize power on fear 
if you just know the right buttons to push in somebody, uh, you look at the recent like hashtag save the children movement that was on Facebook or like trending on any social media platform. And you get a thing that is a common point uh, that everybody shares um, in, in this instance, like of Red Scare, it is, why is communism bad? Oh, because they want to take your things away from you or they want to nuke you to death. That kind of thing. You just have to escalate the rhetoric and then other people go, no, not my things. No, not my being. I don't want that. What? <laughs> just tell me the instructions I need to go and do to, that I can make them not do that. And it's just, just vote for me, support me, do any of that. And this movie is chock full of all of those people who have been voted into mm-hmm. office, appointed by that, any of that. That's, that's what makes it so kind of delightful and it's skewering and at the same time kind of depressing in its own way if you thought yeah. about it for he, too long. Yeah, because even like Ripper, whatever, he's off his hinges. But I think it's the like the regular guys on that base, like what yeah. you were saying when the uh, other. <laughs> so they send in troops to attack the base. Yep. To take it back, to take it back, to try to get the codes. There's this wonderful argument between the two generals about whether the base defense is better or the guy's going to be able to take the base. It's like we're talking about the American military fighting itself. Yeah. Which yeah, is when I we're trying to, which one's better. Yeah. My, well, boy, my boys can brush yours aside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With all due respect. Yeah. When they get there and they start pulling up the two guys that are sitting there and they're like, wow, they look exactly like our guys. Where do you think they get those outfits and the trucks that look exactly like ours? And I was like, they're so bought in. They're like, oh, it must be army surplus. Fear, yeah, to the <laughs> belief that the Russians could do anything. Mm-hmm. They're everywhere. They could look like anybody. That they're just that they don't even question that based on this pure fact in front of their face of like those look exactly like our guys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And there, that's, there's like yeah. a weird strand of McCarthyism that's coming back now around the Russia Ukraine thing where like, oh man, people are uh, like, um, there was a concert hall that banned a Russian pianist from playing and like just anybody who's affiliated with Russia is being like pushed out of even if they don't agree with the war like there was a tennis player who won't be allowed to play at Wimbledon unless he like rebukes Vladimir Putin and it's like he has family in Russia like he can't say that yeah yeah. you're putting him in a a hugely dangerous position and it's like he publicly said that he's not in favor of the war but they won't let him play at Wimbledon unless he's like says that Vladimir Putin is bad (laughs) it's like yeah this is fucking crazy like we did this before and it was a horrible idea and it didn't work like what are we what are we doing it's like the initial instinct of humans in general but especially if you look back at American history over the last 70 years it's like whoever the bad group is it's just they're all bad like you you demonize know, the, them the, yeah. Fu- yeah. the war on terror you know it's like oh we're gonna deface a bunch of mosques and and like attack a bunch of brown people who may not even be from relevant regions of, of the world you know like just there's such this american instinct like oh my god who's the new scary enemy oh shit they're all bad we cannot associate with them we can't yeah. like have you know in good faith conversations or, or anything yeah, and it well, was, and it was that I think it was is well presented by that when the Russian ambassador comes in and he like poo poo's all the food and then he like yeah. doesn't he won't have that cigar mm. right he's only having it and it's the exact same like complete lack of trust on I don't the other side imperialist stooges yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> they've just like both demonized each other so much that they can there's not even an inch for conversation mm-hmm. yeah there was a uh, I, mean, I was just watching a 
video analysis on Twin Peaks earlier today. This is going to go somewhere, I promise. <laughs> Hell yeah. All right. Um, and this is not an embarrassing about, Blu-ray you're going to compare no, it to. No, this no, no. It was, it was talking Blu-ray. about how I still haven't actually watched any Twin Peaks. I'll let you know. I was oh, just what? watching just this watching video straight up. Just I going to say, of, I just watched Firewalk with me. I don't know. It was how to kind of culturally approach in like modern times Twin Peaks and where it was coming from with the current television culture and everything else. And uh, it was just like David Lynch doing this kind of dreamy deconstruction of what modern TV was. And they use great examples like Dynasty Mm -hmm. um, and Dallas and those kinds of things that give you this over-the-top melodramatic acting in the continued kind of championing of simplified narratives. You need a good Mm -hmm. person and you need a bad person. We just talked about the wrestler. You need a heel and you need a face. And in this case, it's one of those things where – yeah, it, it's so much easier to just say, just like it during World War II times, let's start an internment camp for Japanese people, just in case Japanese people yeah, are doing uh, something bad. Uh, it, it's that oversimplification of like, if we just do a blanket here. That means we're covered and we don't have to worry about nuances of human beings being completely different people with their own free thought who might buy into our own ideals and our own political culture. Like, fuck that. Uh, as a government, let's just fucking round them up, like, and become out what later. we're Be trying not sorry. to do. Better have some mistaken casualties than to lose the whole base. Exactly, yeah, yeah. and that is where Doctor Strangelove, the character, comes in, <laughs> which is perfect. Uh, you kind of have Peter Sellers playing this ex-Nazi, still a Nazi, uh, still very, much a, very Nazi. much a Nazi. Part of him's a Nazi. Who is, yeah. <laughs> Part of him can't help himself, but be a Nazi. (laughs) (laughs) And so like any context where Dr. Strangelove is, there's this great through line of, um, yeah, America beat the Nazis to adopt a lot of the Nazi technology and a lot of the Nazi kind of like, uh, it doesn't matter. As long as it helps us, we'll take it. Whatever it is. And we brought so many scientists over during World War II to help us build nuclear bombs, right? Like it's a... His character is the direct critique of the U.S. just allowing so many evil Nazis into our society. It's like, oh, yeah, well, at least you're not commies, you know, like you can be on the good team now. Yeah, I mean, what you did was what you did, right? Like you totally experimented against ethical, (laughs) any kind of ethical quandaries you defied by just Mm -hmm. doing what the fuck you wanted to. And now we get your research, right? Free, you know, it's, it's, there's no guilt or anything brought with it. That's like a trend in American history is trying to say that we got something and there's no history associated with it. <laughs> yeah, don't it's bring just, up any of the problems. We're always starting from the base, okay, and going up. There's nothing deeper. There's no iceberg. Don't worry about it. Yeah, don't ask how we got into this conflict. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I absolutely love the character of Dr. Strangelove, uh, just because he at the right times is so stimulated by what the fucking dumb shit is going on, whatever this happening uh, with the, the conflict resolution uh, in quotes, I should say um, that he gets so excited. He'll, he'll heil Hitler. He'll salute. <laughs> or he calls the president. <laughs> the, yeah, mind uh, Fuhrer and apologizes <laughs> um, to the point where he eventually regains his walking <laughs> like so uh, completely stimulated. He becomes erect uh, in a very like literal way uh-huh. uh, by, by yeah, his legs. Yeah, um, I love that the prospect of nuclear Holocaust is so exciting to him oh, yeah, he's because just he going... can make a master race. Yes, yeah. like, yes. He finally gets to do it. It's like, oh, fuck, I can do eugenics now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can pick all the women and all the men and just have the greatest white people that have ever been. Oh, God. 
God. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, we have a one general who's mad talking about preserving bodily fluids. We have at the same time, Dr. Strangelove working from the shadows quite literally. And a lot of sequences, mm-hmm. he's just sitting in the shadows, watching and observing and enjoying everything that's happening. Um, very like just a uh, sadist, uh, for, for all of the war room disputes and discussions of lives lost. Uh, and then in the middle of it is these innocent flyboys who are just following orders uh, and yeah, Slim Pickens leading them. Yeah, they think they're heroes. Slim Pickens is is their bard. He's he's singing their song. <laughs> His the whole lines time. are so fucking good. Like just they sound like something a Texas cowboy would say, and they're just just perfect for for every moment. Like inspiring or stupid or over the top. It's just it's all they're all gold. <laughs> it it took me the second watch to realize there's a uh, there's a. a um, limited series called the spoils of Babylon. It's like a six episode satire on 1970s novellas being adapted to TV. It's such an obscure stab, but uh, Toby McGuire's in it and he does some of the slim Pickens esque kind of lines. And it registered with me the second time that that's an homage. <laughs> absolutely. Because he's like in a fighter pilot, it's going down uh, at one point in the show and he's like, it's hotter than a, a tin roof on a cat house in here. <laughs> he just says shit like that and it, to the point where it's just nonsense. And I was like, oh, this is Slim Pickens stuff. This is brilliant. My, my favorite line is when he's, uh, you know, got the, the plan R and he's talking to everybody over the speaker. And he's like, you know, I think if this is as important as I think it's going to be, then y'all got some commendations lined up. Everlast one of you. <laughs> yeah. Regardless of your race, color, your creed. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, he says everlast one. Yeah. It's there's, so good. there's like a twofold there too. It's, it's funny that, uh, it, it's funny, sad. I should say that he has to say every last one of you, your race, regardless of your race, create a religion, any of that. Yeah. And then the it's other like, aspect oh, yeah, we of have it, a black guy and an Italian guy. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the other aspect being that, uh, he actually thinks there's going to be commendations after there's anything, after, yeah. there's yeah. anything to go back to. Yeah. Uh, they even know these, that attack plan R is the, we've already had Washington bombed. plan. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they still insist on carrying on this thing that there's going to be something, something to come to back, back to. to. <laughs> Well, they, they kind of give up on that idea. Yeah, eventually, eventually, yeah. End, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> well, that, that takes their radio unit being destroyed, which uh, we should get to. Yeah, so like the war well, room. Well, I was to say that before that, we learned about the doomsday device, right? Yes. There's this yeah. other even more hanging that even if we, yeah, having all these bombers go would be a problem. But even if one thing gets through, Russia has built this doomsday device that will be triggered by seemingly anything, anything yeah, is sure. impossible to untrigger and it will go off and create a nuclear fallout that will last 93 years. Mm-hmm. Also, we should talk about culpability. <laughs> Over the whole earth. Culpability is a main driving point, uh, aversion to culpability, I should say. Y- yes. It's a main driving mm. point in this in this film. Uh, it's run by computers. Like, the, yeah, <laughs> it's run by computers. Yeah, there's, there's a very specific, the Russian ambassador even specifies that the doomsday machine uh, isn't triggered by any sane man. It has to be triggered by a computer <laughs> mm. and it's untriggerable. Like there's no way to reverse that. At the same time, we have uh, kind of the end phases of um, this this plan R where there's a lot of like, okay, we've broken this chain of command. There's no longer a reason to, to uh, you can't even stop it after a certain point. And also uh, past when all of the plans have failed and they're talking about what's going to happen in the fallout. 
they're like, well, I would, the president is like, I would hate to have to make the decision of who lives and who dies. And Dr. Strangelove is like, it's very easy. We just use a computer. Yeah. Yeah. He just writes it off. Yeah. yeah. Especially to have that conversation after they have multiple times weighed millions to billions of lives, Uh (laughs) but it was a number, right? When it's like, oh, we have to actually sit down and say who's in. But before it was just like, well, we do this and 100 million die. We do this and 10 yeah, million George, die. George C. Scott's speech before they learned about the doomsday <laughs> device when he's like, well, you know, what we could do is, you know, we just sneak attack right now. Give them everything we've got and Fully we'll commit. take out 90% of their nuclear Catch them with defense. their pants down. And we got <laughs> yeah. a damn good chance of coming out on top. And then he's like, you know, 10, 10 to 20 million dead tops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> depending on the brakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, then the, and the president's like, no, because then, the, you know, we lose everyone in a nuclear war. And he's like, yeah, well, you know, if we go first... We don't lose much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. if if we don't do it, the enough, rest of the world is then, fucked. Yeah, and we lose tens of millions of people, but you know we're still around. We're a, we win, yeah, yeah. yeah. A very reduced way to look at winning. Yeah. <laughs> and also, then when they find out about the doomsday machine, George C. Scott turns to the president's like aide, and he's like, "Man, I wish we had one, one of those, those doomsday yeah. machines." <laughs> <laughs> he's so hyped up. Like, what yeah. the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I also love Strange Love when they're when they're talking about it, and he's like, "The point of a doomsday machine is that everybody knows about it. You have a yeah. deterrent. That it's a deterrent." Yeah, and they're like, "He was gonna announce it. <laughs> and we thought you on had Monday. one. Yeah, we yeah. thought you had one. That's why we made one." <laughs> he's absolutely waiting for it. <laughs> yeah, he loves also, he love loves surprises. Theme. Yeah, I love that the Russian ambassador. His voice he sounds just like James Earl Jones. I don't know how, like, just he's so, <laughs> so similar. Like, he sounds like Darth Vader. And I don't like having them both in the same movie was super weird. Oh, that's but funny. They yeah. both sound amazing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. The uh, so so we were getting back to the war room. They're talking with Dimitri about this is after the doomsday device has been revealed. Uh, and they're trying to figure out how to stop their boys. That was one thing that actually I wanted to talk about with the doomsday device with these these things that escalate the absurdity of how far gone we are into this plan um, that ties back to B movies for me is B movies always have, there's a big monster radioactivity is involved. Somehow you have like them as a great example, giant ants just, killing yeah. people. <laughs> there's always a plan in a B movie, a plan a, and then a plan B. Huh? Um, and the plan a never goes according to what it's supposed to. There's always like, Oh damn, we didn't anticipate that these radioactive ants can't be damaged by bullets. Uh, and then you have to fall back to plan B and then eventually plan C. And then everybody is dead except for the main love interest and the main character, whatever they, they do their thing. This does kind of that excellent tightrope walk of it's delivering all of the satirical absurdity and it's utilizing the tropes of B movies to escalate the tension of like, well, there were several times watching this the second time for me where even having seen it before, I was like, oh yeah, uh, I didn't remember how it ended. So I was like, they could just deescalate from here. Like if they just did this and then immediately the movie would be like, well, we can't do that. Like it would cut me (laughs) off logically (laughs) at the pass. And it was just kind of brilliant in doing that. So the Doomsday Machine, excellent device to use uh, to, to kind of curb that, well, can't they just do this? Can't they get back? And even when they get to the point where they can communicate with the other bombers, that one bomber, thanks to the previous actions the president took talking to Dimitri, to like has just had shoot its down the radio, planes, yeah. yes, had its radio damaged, they can't even receive, mm-hmm. which is another uh, kind of hilarious, subtle flaw in their plan of like, there's no contingency if your radio is uh, borked. You could. There's no abort plan. You're going all in without the radio too. Right. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> also, the the code that they're trying to get when. Oh yeah. They uh yeah you know, so uh 
Sterling Hayden Ripper kills himself in the bathroom because his people lose the the fight and the other soldiers take over and Mandrake is trying to figure out what the code is and he's reading the scribbles <laughs> on his desk musings. and it says purity of essence and peace on earth over and over and over and he's like okay it's P-O-E or O-P-E one of those and I was like where the fuck are you getting O-P-E it says purity of essence P-O-E and peace on earth P-O-E I don't know where you're getting O-P-E from that and of course it was O-P-E which is the correct one I was like it seems like a weird yeah. Like, yeah, I don't just, know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's a shitty, a shitty cipher scramble, really. It's just one of those yeah. things where, like, he's got the three uh, three letters, but POE would be too easy. It's too obvious. <laughs> yeah. So he flips one, which just also reveals how, like, inept uh, as, as a. He wrote his password on a desk. Yeah, he wrote his password <laughs> yeah. on a desk and he just flipped two characters. He put yeah. a one at the end of it and it was Exclamation done. point. Yeah. yeah. The, the, <laughs> the whole scene with Mandrake then. Where the other off the other Colonel Backguano, yeah, <laughs> Colonel Backguano <laughs> comes in to it's arrest him. Amazing to me that they just named him Backguano, yes. and then it, Sellers even calls it out. Mandrake is like, "If that is your real name," and then they just drop it and keep going. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I think I saw in the credits that bats in quotes, so uh-huh. maybe it's, yeah. But He's still, the names in this yeah, it says on his shirt Backguano. It does say Backguano. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So the, the Backguano comes in. What is he? He's like. Uh, sees Mandrake and is like, you're wearing something weird, right? Because he's like in a, not in a, a U.S. Yeah, military outfit. Yeah, he's in a RAF uniform. Uh, and then it's, asks about Ripper and he's like, oh, he's he's there in the bathroom. Like he shot himself. It's like, yeah, a bit likely did. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the did. guy, of course, immediately thinks the Brit is the one who is doing all right. the evil stuff. You're and the and other. <laughs> this whole like mistrust situation the whole time where we, and there's an audience are sitting there like Mandrake has the codes to like fix this whole thing now. Like he's figured it out. He's out. We have the codes and this one inept guy is keeping it from because advancing. he thinks Mandrake is a quote prevert. Yeah. Pre-vert, yeah. <laughs> that Ripper found out about your preversions <laughs> and you shot him. Yeah. And so, yeah, they go and think he, he can't use the phones. So they get out. There's They've a all telephone. Been shot. They've all been shot up. I love when he picks up the one phone. He's like, damn, the line said you're, idiot soldiers by shot it and then he picks up the next phone and it's literally just the receiver there's no cord <laughs> he's he's like, oh, oh shit yeah Great prop gag <laughs> uh yes yeah, so as they're going out there's a tell a, a toll phone uh, yep. yeah uh, pay phone pay, pay phone, phone. Yeah. yeah and he's like well i'll i'll use that i can get the president he's like you better get the president on the line uh, and he gets this like, whole conversation yeah in there. <laughs> yeah he like keeps the door open on it uh, the whole conversation with the operator trying to get a hold of the president and the operator just keeps uh, demanding so change. He's like, oh, I don't have change. Can you make it a collect call? <laughs> they, yeah. won't, they won't take a they collect won't take call. They won't take it. They won't accept it. <laughs> and, yeah, so then the, the final craziness of it when he's like just asked to get more change and he asked back Guano to shoot the Coca-Cola machine <laughs> to get the change out of it. And he's like, that's, that's private, private property. property. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you don't get the president on the phone, you're going to have to answer to the Coca-Cola company. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, exactly uh, this like. That's so, so American. We're in such yeah. a, yeah, we're in such like a, a, a live or death situation. And you're, you're thinking about that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's hilarious. Protecting Coca-Cola. <laughs> that's how. I mean, that's why he's back one. He's batshit crazy. Yeah. He's batshit paranoid. So he believes this. that they had his troops attack an American military base because there was a perverted Brit there. <laughs> like, yeah, he just says like, oh, they told me to get Ripper on the phone. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, he's uh, told to attack and kill 
military men on a base to get a guy to get on the phone. Mm. Given like a because of the perverted Brit. He doesn't question it. Yeah. Yeah. That's on a need-to-know basis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just got my orders. He also has a grenade hanging from each like <laughs> each breast. <laughs> just such an odd visual, just like metal boobs clicking as he's walking. Yeah. It's it's great. It's just a great setup to that whole bit of trying to get in touch. And it, because of all the time that they've wasted, now when they finally get to contacting the like radio has been shot out and been blown up. I feel like that happens like right around that time, right? That the attack sort of fails and you get to yeah, see Yeah, we see like the end of the stuff with the base yeah. right before the other guy comes in and then we cut to the plane, the missile like detonates within a mile of it or something which is enough to damage it from the blast that they recover then we come back and we get the room and all the planes are coming back because they've submitted the code successfully and they think they've averted disaster and then uh dimitri calls back and another great seller's phone call where he's like dimitri we're reporting that all the planes are you know We've heard back from 30 of them and not from the four that you shot down. He's like, uh, you know, oh, well, there's they're saying that they may have just damaged the other one. And they're like, oh, shit. Well, uh, Dimitri, I'm sorry. And they're flying so low and jamming your radar. It's what they're trained to do. Yeah. Initiative. <laughs> you know, I also love we get another moment from George. He's got there where he's like, look at the big board. They're all gone. Yeah. <laughs> the board says it's blank. The board is truth. <laughs> Yeah, and, and what if he's lying? What if he's lying that the plane is still there? Oh, that smells I like, was like a commie rat. Yeah. yeah, I was like, what does he have to gain by uh, saying that there's still a bomber? I love when uh, uh, the the president is like, yeah, General Turgidson, does that plane have a chance of getting through? And he's like, Oh, oh man, man. I tell you, like, oh, you see one of these boys barreling down on the ground? Like, <laughs> oh see my god, time. it's a sight. He's like, does he have a chance? Because does he have a chance? Hell yeah! <laughs> and he like. Stops mid sentence because he realizes what that means and he has a chance and he just goes from a hundred percent enthusiasm to just dead shock in realizing that everyone's about to die. Yeah, he's yeah. like so proud of of the the men and the weapons and uh, describing them and yeah, yeah. I, I wanna, now your your general commie wouldn't be able to handle a machine like this. Uh, no, 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 no offense, sir. <laughs> <laughs> we know we know the Ruskies got lots of guts. They killed all them Nazis, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I want to roll back real quick to the assault on the base because uh, one thing that we haven't discussed oh, yeah. is how that tonally shifts from in terms of like cinematography. Oh yeah, shifts from this kind of these these static and this campy kind of angles to uh, Kubrick takes a documentarian style going into the assault on the base, which gives you that more like this is war footage you're watching. Handheld cameras it, yeah. on the ground with the troops. Absolutely. And it just adds to that extra absurdity of like, you've seen war footage before. People sitting in theaters in 1964 were like, I've seen yeah, war footage yep. in the newsreels plenty of times, but never war footage that is America attacking America, like the U.S. attacking <laughs> the U.S. and this assault on the base. And I thought it was just a brilliant use of that camera he style. the same thing in the plane like we get some shots as they move around the plane that are that kind of cam of someone following them. Like you're following them through to give you that sense of depth too. It just adds to how kind of like, again, bringing up that contrast of the really shitty plane model on the outside. And then this very like technical and complicated thing inside where they're going between these different chambers and there's doors I got to open. They got to get down into and all the levers they got to flip. It's just like so well done. Uh, to balance like documentarian style with a more cinematic kind of camp film style uh, really brings out the contrast in, in the shots and the way that the, the story is playing out. 
Yeah. yeah, it really does. I also love that at the military ba- base, it's just plastered with the phrase "peace is our profession." <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yes, the entire time they're they're launching wars and killing their uh, killing Americans, <laughs> killing Russians, doing everything they can to kill as many people as possible. Yeah, we get and like this idea that the U.S. military is a peacekeeping operation is just so fucking stupid. You know, it's yeah, just, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, we we get the great shot of them shooting each other in front of that giant sign, and then it also turns uh, and there's a keep off the grass sign. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Guys crawling uh, yeah. through the grass. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of the uh, the Simpsons where Homer joins the Navy, and uh, he's having dinner with the the admiral, and the admiral's like, "How do you get uh, peace, Simpson, or whatever?" After after Homer's clearly peace? incorrectly answered, "Peace." Yeah, it's like, what do you want? Food? Peace. Oh yeah, <laughs> we and all want peace, peace? <laughs> with a knife. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, just yeah. another great scene. Um, but yeah, so we, we've gotten through kind of all of like the doomsday machine, all this tension buildup and uh, Bandrick has now codes. gotten the code across. So that's that's a one particular plot line that's resolved. And now it's just between the war room and the boys in the plane and what they're doing. Uh, and the war room is drastically trying after George C. Scott has already pointed out that there is nothing that is going to stop that plane because <laughs> you should see one of these babies. Uh, and they also... Uh, Merkin Muffley tells Dimitri that, oh, they're going to these two spots. So, like, put all your defenses into these two spots. You'll be fine. But then the plane is gushing fuel because it's been attacked. And so they have to select a different target, of course. Absolutely. Again, another subversion of the the plan and the expectations that are going to resolve this. So the tension just keeps building and building. And this, uh, this is where kind of, like, that whole escalation throughout this film is obvious. I'm stating the obvious. It is a brilliance to how it is disarming the audience to actually make you fall into that nihilism I was talking about it's not where the need, more yeah. that you keep thinking about, well, they just need to do this and it cuts you off. Eh, they could just do this cuts you off. It's putting you in that corner of thinking maybe nuclear deterrent isn't the right option at all. Mm-hmm. And because if something is, falls through the cracks, yeah, yeah. which is, continues to fucking happen because nothing is perfect. Everything is human made. Everything is human run. Uh, And it's really that thing that I'm surprised so many people still haven't really picked up on in in modern era. When you talk about carpet bombings, when you talk about uh, other, how you would handle foreign conflicts, the, uh, kind of example or the the hand wavy answer is well we should just bomb them all to hell we should nuke them all to mm-hmm. hell we should do start any of this over. to hell start over just level that ground uh even with the ukrainian conflict recently i saw somebody on on twitter and i've talked about this before not on the podcast but they were like why can't we just airlift all of the ukrainian people and give russia the land and it's like that's not the point also, there's all? 40 million of them. Yes. Um, <laughs> like, we'll, we'll give it back to them later like we did with Israel, and that's working perfectly. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just like the, the, the movie has that brilliant pacing where it really corners you. If you are ever in some way endorsing this particular ideology and this philosophy around military strategy, um, it's painting you into that corner, and you have no real recourse. There's nothing that you can come back with. Sure, yeah. you can throw all your hypotheticals that you want, but paints a pretty clear picture of what can happen. Uh, <laughs> it's it's amazing how stupid the concept of nuclear deterrence is, and yet it's still 
the dominant military ideology in the world today. Like every country's trying to get nukes and, you know, the U.S. won't decommission its nukes. We keep making more nukes. It's like, holy shit, we could already blow up the entire world. Why do we need to be making more yeah. of these? Yeah. Um, and like, that's just the predominant ideology and the group think and nobody, you know, stops to think, oh, hey, maybe we shouldn't do this. It's like, as you know, I don't know, like... I didn't want nukes before I saw this movie, but like after I was like, Oh shit. Like this just so eviscerates every idea that this might be a, a good strategy. And you know, it's like just people don't, people don't think about nuclear conflict that way. It's like, well, you know, we can't get rid of them. Cause what if then Russia will have them and they can boss us around. It's like, okay, but like no one ever wants to launch these things. Like we, just yeah. So to... they have them and they fire them and then what? Like, <laughs> yeah. Who can, okay. Like they, they oh, we fire back for fun. And Great. They, all right. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Even if they nuke us and we did have nukes, we shouldn't nuke them back. Like, it's ridiculous. Right. It's the thought of this, yeah. Amazing because, like, when you think about, and I don't want to hold the FBI up as an example of a great organization Please that's don't. done fantastic <laughs> things for anybody, but the FBI does have, you know, their negotiation protocol. And it, even if it is a subversive technique to get people who are in hostage situations out of the hostage situation, they don't care as much about the captor. Um, there, there is a, a a briefing on that that has a lot to do with you have to register that the person you're negotiating with is a human being who's capable of feeling they have a name, they have a purpose behind what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. They have a certain fear associated with it and you just have to talk them down. There's that escalation. Um, of course, in any movie you see a negotiator and there are several motherfuckers sitting by with sniper rifles uh -huh. aimed at that person <laughs> waiting for yeah. them to come out. And it's usually those that are like there they are shoot them immediately there's like a trigger pulled there yeah but like the negotiator is a person who is empathetically on point to talk them down uh and so it's like you even see that permeate in strategies around trying to get people with firearms and things to to disarm and come out um so it's like amazing to me that people can can ingest a lot of media that has that and what they take away is that the trigger's faster to pull than it is to stand with a bullhorn and try to get to know somebody and know exactly what they're going through, mm -hmm. try to understand politically what you're taking on. Of course, we're talking about international politics, which gets all kinds of messy <laughs> it's even worse. with its culture and history as we learned in looking for comedy in the Muslim world. <laughs> <laughs> it's also like both, both American parties are so aggressively pro-war and like the media is so aggressively pro-war. Like with Iraq, like everybody was pro-war. And if you were anti-war, you were pulled off TV or like, I remember when Trump attacked Syria, he launched missiles, missiles at Syria, and Brian Williams on the news was like, isn't it so beautiful? Like, this is the night Trump became president. It's like, wait, like, what the fuck? Like, is it? Okay, he was like a child who couldn't do the job before, but now that he launched missiles at somebody, he's proving he's that he's up. capable of doing the job. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, this yeah. is, we have such a fucked up idea of what a strong leader is and what, you know, how to interact with other countries. And, you know, it's just a dominance thing is the only way that Americans are capable of understanding international conflict and, and diplomacy. Yeah. Um, there was a good, I think it's a mini series on the branch Davidians. On yes. David Koresh. Yes. Oh, I saw yeah. that Waco. Yeah. Where Michael Shannon is amazing. So yeah. 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 But Michael Shannon's like playing the, the guy that wrote the book on de-escalation of that kind of conflict. And he's just constantly being ignored yes. by everyone else around him. And as he's making progress, they turn around and undercut him by escalating. Uh, and it's essentially this movie, except not funny in real life. Yeah. yeah. The same thing where someone is actually trying really hard to take those steps to humanize and work 
with them. And all of that stems from and yeah, uh, these other two sides a, that just assume and hate toxicity each other. Toxicity within a political culture, like the that the ATF was like, we fucked up this one time. We got to make good now. It's all about politics. It's all about how we look as as an organization. Right. Yep. We need to get something. We need to get something good. We need mm-hmm. to spin this narrative, and then we need to seal it. Um, and they made it so much worse. Oof, than, yeah. yeah. Boy, did they. <laughs> um, do we uh, do we want to talk about the bomb drop? Uh, we want, yeah, we do want to yeah. talk about the bomb drop. I want to talk about real quick. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about. We talked about uh, Slim Pickens getting his hat. We didn't talk about the <laughs> distribution of the packet, <laughs> oh, the contents yes. of the packet, yeah. where it's like. Please tell us about it in a Slim Pickens accent. <laughs> oh, man. I can't remember all of the things that they talk about. But it's I know, that. yeah, that's in that thing. It's like three All sets of pantyhose, yeah. lipstick, one yeah. prophylactic, yeah. Uh, tranquilizer tiny, pills, a miniature pills. Bible, Holy Bible and, and Russian <laughs> phrases. <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. it's so tiny. <laughs> it's the tiniest thing. It's so great. Um, yeah, the Criterion Collection came with uh, uh, a Holy the, Bible, Holy Bible, Bible Russian, phrases. Russian phrases. It has awesome. like five Russian phrases in it that are like, do you speak English? Help. And like a couple other things. <laughs> Die communist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man. But just, just like that listing off of here are all the things you're going to need. And it's clearly like even they are underprepared for what they're going to do. Uh, yeah, there's more sticks uh, of gum than like dumb, MREs. Yeah. And there's yeah pantyhose and... And a prophylactic just in case they get lucky while they're over there. Yeah. Like amazing. Yeah. And, and they got they, a 45 pistol. So yep, yeah. of course and that's two, all they need. Two things of bullets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if knowing the government now, it probably would just be the pistol. Yeah. Also, <laughs> do, wouldn't the they bullets? already have a gun on them? I would assume. Yeah. It's they should have a military personnel who are out on a mission flying with the idea that it's possible that you might have to go strike. Yeah, it's like think, you, you would think they wouldn't be locked in a safe in an envelope or whatever, well, whatever the little box care package. Dixon, well, what's how, in those other packages? There's you have contingencies yeah. where there's guns and other ones, too. It may be. That's how they know when the other bombers crash and they all obviously meet up, which is totally what's going to happen if that actually <laughs> happened. Then they would all know by the standard issue firearm found in their plan arm <laughs> safety <laughs> deposit box. They must have all been in on it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so, uh, we, we get to the point where they're going to drop the bomb. Uh, George C. Scott has already sealed the deal for us, narratively telling us that, uh, hell yeah, that boy can fly. He's going to do it. (laughs) Um, and they, they're about to do it. And this is that, that last tension grab for the audience too, of like, oh crap, there's point of no return. But the system keeps failing. We we spend so long on like flip the first safety, flip the second safety, test the circuit, uh, turn this circuit on, turn that, like of all these steps. Yeah. Like you said, that are kind of they just cut through. They yeah, just literally are like switch, 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 switch. Like when would you ever go through these safeties again in another situation? And is every every switch through. is just an opportunity to rethink what you're doing. Right, <laughs> like, right. Do I really want to drop this bomb? Let me flip the next switch and think about it again. Exactly. <laughs> Don't feel any different. <laughs> and, Maybe the uh, next one will provide some insight. They get down to the uh, is it like yeah, the, the gate door, that's supposed to the, open door the door to yeah. prep the door to yeah to open. And it doesn't work. And they, they like James Earl Jones like, is like not getting any negative, response from negative. negative. Yeah. And Slim Pickens and is there's like, all these like try to, try to switch it bypass circuit. Try the to manually do the bypass circuit. Like there's like four different ways. And it's like, what is it? The last one is like 
there's a button to blast off. They have blast charges. <laughs> blast mm-hmm. charges. Yeah, blast to, bolts or yeah, something. Yeah, to force the door to open. And that one doesn't work <laughs> too. And so Slim is like, I'm going to go down like, there. Shit, we didn't come this far to drop this in the drink. Yeah. <laughs> so he's like, I got to go down there and see what's going on. And you get this wonderful kind of shot of the, the two Get those nukes. doors open if it means a hair lip on everybody yeah. in Bear Creek. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Who knows? Me? I don't know. Um, and yeah, you get the, the two nukes. What are the names of the two nukes again? Uh, Hi there, there and dear uh, John, dear yeah, John. Yeah. Yeah, dear yeah, John. Dear John yeah. Um, yeah. And so, uh, slim gets onto, to one of them and is trying to like dislodge it. I oh, guess no, no, there's a panel he, above it. Oh, that's right. He's working on it's the panel. electric. It looks like the thing that it looks like a star Wars, like Chewie is working on something with all these fucking yeah, wires yeah. and the sparks coming out. Of it. Yeah. And, and slim knows exactly what to do with it. You rip the wires out, you plug the you wires, start jamming them into each other. It'll find, it'll work on its own. Um, and he, he hardwires it. He manually opens that chute and he also manually drops the bomb at the same time. <laughs> so the moment it opens, he starts yeehawing. <laughs> Immediately, just by instinct, rips off his cowboy hat and waves it up in the air. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> and, and the bomb drops and he rides it all the way down, just full cowboy style. Yeah, we get this wonderful shot of as he's falling backwards and the bomb is right at his crotch. Mm-hmm. And you just see it like as he goes, you see more and more of the bomb. Yeah. Like, one of the most iconic shots in the history of cinema. Just yeah. Yep. So good. Uh, and he, he's, he's writing the like mythological narrative of the cowboy, the embodiment of the U S <laughs> bold. I shoot first spirit all the way to the fucking ground where it just kills everything. Yeah. The, that's the, probably the best position to be in a nuclear uh, strike, you know, on the, just on right the there. Yeah. down. Yeah. It's to death. Uh-huh. Boom. Done. Don't have to deal with any of the radio fallout or any of that. Mm-hmm. Radioactive fallout, all that. Um, at the same time, we get that the the meeting, the war room, flashback to the war room, uh, and they're talking about, uh, well, we're fucked, um, but not all of us. We could still maybe make a plan here, and that's Strange Love where launches Strange Love into a in. eugenics bit about uh, saving the world by putting a bunch of women and a few men in, down in a mine shaft yeah. until a yeah. hundred years have passed. Ten, ten, ten women to, one. to every one man, and they would all have to be very attractive. Obviously, to keep because the, the sexual requirements of the men would yeah. be so great. Yeah, yes. to keep them interested, of course. And and uh, even the Russian ambassador concedes that it's a great idea. It's a fantastic yeah. idea. Of course, we would need the country's best generals and politicians to uh-huh. to be down in this. Elvin Turgidson is like. Uh, this would mean the uh, unraveling of the standard monogamous relationship as far as men are concerned. Yeah. And then they all are like, oh, shit, yeah, we're going to do this. It's a sacrifice we would have to make. Uh. <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, Strangelove is fighting with his hand this whole time. <laughs> to not do it's the Nazi salute. Hand. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I like the for when he goes to get the little calculator yes, disc the out. Pocket, like, and he like, reaches in the pocket. calculator? Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah, he reaches in his pocket to get it, and then his other hand comes up and already has it. <laughs> He's like surprised by it. <laughs> yeah, I I absolutely love him breaking down what they would need to survive. Like it's immediate pivot to oh yeah, we've got a plan plan B. We're willing to accept that like eugenics is going to be the thing, but just his delivery 
on like talking about what's provided in the mine shaft specifically. And he's like he's so thought out. Talking, of, yeah, he's uh, like, hey, we need to do this, and the animals will be bred and slaughtered. He <laughs> <laughs> just like hits that <laughs> so brutal in its delivery. <laughs> like everybody's like, oh yeah, I mean that makes that makes total sense. This is perfectly fine with us. Uh, and then I think there's a one question about wouldn't uh, everybody that goes into the the mine shaft be like traumatized by what's happening? Yeah, envious of the mm. dead, and he's like, no, they'd have a, a nostalgic we'll longing. We'll go before they're to, dead. Yeah. yeah, they'd have a nostalgic longing and a bold sense of curiosity. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> go forward. Uh, oh my god, it's a, it's his physical acting is so good in that section. Just his like. It, it feels like it feels like they're talking about Henry Kissinger in a lot of ways, but just like the general, you know, <laughs> Nazis being, uh, you know, pulled into U.S. government and just like how the fact that like everyone knows they're Nazis. Right. Like it's yeah. so obvious that they're Nazis, but we just don't care. Right. Because yeah. they just provide whatever we think we need from them. And yeah, him just like openly saying Mein Fuhrer and Heil Hitlering and stuff. And, and, yeah, just, his arm keeps going up into yeah. a Nazi yeah. salute. The fact that, yeah, he's just so stimulated at the end by the nuclear holocaust that he grows the ability to walk again. And, and it, right, right before that, like Brian referenced this earlier, my, my, I quote this all the time is when they're talking about mine shafts and <laughs> George C. Scott is like, well, what if they, what if they bring a bomb down into their mine shaft and then they can come out in hundred years with a bomb already, then they'll have us cooked. Like we got to do that. We cannot have a mine shaft gap. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I say we cannot have a mine shaft gap weekly. Brilliant. Just, yeah. Oh man. It's yeah. So they're, good. they're already planning for the next mutual assured destruction. <laughs> And then right after that quote, Strangelove stands up and says, Mein Führer, I could walk! <laughs> yeah. And then my favorite ending in the history of cinema, I think, um, just a montage of nuclear explosions implying that that was the last word that was said by the human race <laughs> when bombs start raining down and killing everyone with uh, playing We'll Meet Again over the bombs, which is such a like a calming, peaceful song to such an upsetting visual. And I think it just works so well. I think there's, there's one way you can look at that song where it's like, oh, well, it's like a happy song. Well, yeah, maybe we'll all die, but like we'll meet again in the afterlife. But like this time when I watched it, my thought was we'll meet again is not about humanity dying and like meeting in the next, the next life or whatever. It's about humanity meeting nuclear destruction again. It's, it's like we mm -hmm. had one nuclear war in World War II, and it's going to happen again. We'll meet again some on some sunny day when like there's nuclear explosions <laughs> everywhere, uh, and it's only a matter of time. We don't know when it's going to be, but it's going to happen. And that was kind of my interpretation of it th this time when I watched it. I had a uh, I have a different interpretation of it. Um, I mean, they both obviously are, are I would think are very valid uh, and, and interesting things to contemplate on this usage of the song. But for me, the like a uh, Scientifically, the great filter is a term that is applied to species that become so evolved that they can wipe themselves out with nuclear deterrent or other means. Um, and at the same time, mass extinction is something that just happens to species right, uh, yeah. over time. And for me, it's something that like there, I think there have been like five mass extinctions and we are queued up for the sixth mass extinction at some point. 
and that there is mass death is something that we will meet again uh, at, at some point or some time. And it doesn't have to be the human species that's the one that meets it. It's anything else that kind of comes after any other life that trudges up. I know cockroaches are a species yeah. notoriously like known for like surviving. Sharks and, have been around a while. <laughs> yeah. And so there's just like these moments of Alligators. like, okay, yeah. if, it's, if we you know, nuke ourselves to death. Something else is going to thrive until it's smart enough until to it nuke itself, itself as well. <laughs> yep. Uh, and that it's, I think that both can cohesively exist as their own kind of interpretations of that. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. We were, we talked briefly about the, the doomsday clock cause I was pondering if it had gotten any better oh, or yeah. been re-reviewed. Yeah. It got worse. It's at a hundred seconds, which is the worst hundred seconds to midnight, which is the worst that it's ever been at, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a nice thought. Uh, but also when they put that out, when they adjust the doomsday clock, they release like a report of why they think it's so shitty. Yeah. <laughs> or I guess the couple of times it's gotten better. Um, but they talk about not just uh, atomic destruction, but they also now talk about climate change mm-hmm. uh, because they also kind of calculate that in as like, well, if it's not going to be the nukes, when mm. do we pass that point in overturn on climate change too? And like, that's just the thing that outdoes us as well. Like, they're looking at it more of like, how close are we to just of the fail safe point of humanity? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I know that Elon Musk is trying to go to Mars as soon as possible. He wants mm-hmm. to raise his That'll children solve everything. there yeah. and, uh, he'll save only some of us. Yeah. It will <laughs> be better. just as successful as his hyperloop. Yeah. And <laughs> all of his other inventions, uh, the, Tesla, the most, boring yeah. company, most the boring company, yeah. Tesla firmware updates. Those tes- yeah. <laughs> firmware updates. They're so solid. Uh, <laughs> the quality of their adjustable seats that they had to turn off <laughs> people were adjusting seats too much. Um, yeah. The, the future is, uh, <laughs> can you imagine? Sorry. Yeah. They're like the Elon Musk Mars trip and halfway there. They're like, well, we told you that this was going to work this way, but a firmware update is now preventing us yeah. from, it's exactly oh, the yeah. same movie, except a trip to Mars where just things start falling apart. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, it's that's when they find the Nazis on the Martian base. Mm-hmm. Tying it back into those conspiracy <laughs> theories, everybody. I had to. I had that's where to. they went. Yeah, that's where they got away too. <laughs> They're actually on the moon of Jupiter, Ryan. They <laughs> developed U boats because it was the most aerodynamic in space. <laughs> uh, yeah, why do you think they shaped them like that, John? <laughs> John, there are no aerodynamics in space. Uh, <laughs> that's what I've that's been what saying. They tell, that's what they tell you. They want you to think that. Why do you think uh, there's no air in space, huh? <laughs> that's where they got all our precious bodily fluid. <laughs> um, oh, man. I think you know, just the, the ending of the movie, I think it's just so it's so calming. Like the rest of the movie, it's building stress, building stress, building stress. And then it just releases all at once in this very calming end sequence where it's like, yeah, you know, we're probably all going to going to die at some point from mass extinction. You know, at the time, the movie is very much about the nuclear variety. Today, we think about climate change and other things, but it's like, you know, especially with with nuclear stuff, it's like, yeah, it might, it's probably going to happen. It might happen. There's a good chance of it, but like, we can't do anything about it. We need to just like live our lives and enjoy the time that we have. And it's not worth stressing out about when, you know, 99.999% of people can't control the the outcome and how we manage our our nukes and safety around that and anything like that and it's kind of this just relief at the end of the film where it's like you know what yeah i might die tomorrow because of a nuclear explosion but like 
it is what it is. I just got to live my life and, and not worry about that. That's where, um, that's where the nihilism comes in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nihilism is a great tool for helping you cope with things because you can just it is, distance yeah. yourself very easily from things. Now there's of course the danger of falling into too much nihilism where you're like, everything's bullshit. I don't care about anything. And mm. you become like completely dehumanized and detached from other people. That's I not feel like this is, this is saying, it, this is trying. you know, we we're all going to die, but like, yep. we just need to, focus on what we have and, and what we have matters because of the finality and the risk that we're all going to die tomorrow. Well, and like we'll meet again as a song in its atmosphere and kind of the energy that it generates. It has a nostalgia to it already at this it does, point. Yeah. And it's reminding you that, you know, there are friends that you will see and there are friends that you can be with right now and people you can just enjoy your time with. Um, it is using, in a way, that kind of nihilism to diffuse the anxiety around what you're doing. And so you can just say, yeah, it's not as, like, sure, I can die tomorrow. Um, but at least, you know, I lived for today is kind of the thing. Or hanging on to hope, right? Like, I'm not yeah. going to say goodbye. I'll say we'll see each other again. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. You're not saying das Vidanya. Uh, which at one point I believe the Russian ambassador says. Yeah, on the phone with the uh, premier. Yeah, which which just I would is like the permanent. translation of what all he said on the phone because I have the impression it wasn't what he was asked to say. Oh, I'm sure. Some yeah. of it I kind of got with my like beginner's Russian. It was very basic. Did stuff. you use your Russian phrases in, in Holy Bible? Yeah, using my Holy Bible book <laughs> yeah. to check on it. Um, but yeah, I do know at least the distinction between saying Dasvidanya. Dasvidanya is like a sayonara mm-hmm. sort of. I'm we're going away. I won't see you for a long time or goodbye permanently sort of thing, as opposed to paka, which means like, well, I'll see you again soon, something like that. Um, so yeah, I was like, okay, I can get the seriousness of that. But yeah, we'll meet again. Absolutely. A, hey, there's hope somewhere, somewhere in here. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, or false hope. False hope, false hope, still real hope. If you put enough yourself, belief into it, uh, it's, it's all psychosomatic to a certain extent. Uh, one thing that you can impact and it's kind of like, you know, don't let this movie completely disarm. There's nothing I can do is, uh, voting at the local level. <laughs> it is, I, I, it's like weird to come in and push that up, but it is one of those things where like, you know, if you're closer to the politics that are actually dictating what you are doing in your day-to-day life, you're more aware of where those might trickle upwards. Not so much like the president I'm voting for is going to do all the things that I want them to do. Um, you can only do so much though at a certain point. But it's very important that you influence your local town's nuclear program. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Whether or not there's a nuclear plant near you, it's yeah. still important that you vote somebody in who wouldn't take <laughs> some kind of pay cuts uh, or, or bribe on the side yeah. to make that happen. What if the U.S. points their nukes at our city? What are we going to do about it? Uh, good point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. my, my, my joke was not a, uh, not mocking your suggestion, John. I agree, but I, yeah. I had to, had to absolutely. I totally got that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah no, you're no. good. You're good. <laughs> yeah. There's plenty of battles going on in your own backyard politically that 10 people are voting in oh, that yeah. are affecting hundreds of thousands of people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and all of them are over the age of 75. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're <laughs> the only ones that show up. Yep. So hard. They got nothing better to do right now. Yep. So. <laughs> Uh, and they got a lot of paranoia and memories to hang on to, to influence what they're going to do. So yep. there you go. They, um, re- they remember a good time that didn't I'm gonna exist. I'm going to tell <laughs> a quick story for y'all about my uh, step-grandmother. Uh, may she rest in peace. I say that respectfully. Uh, she was racist, and she did discriminate against my wife, who is Russian in descent, 
uh, she thought that my wife was a Russian spy. Oh, that wow. is a carryover from the Red Scare, my friends. Um, to the point where she asked my mom to keep an eye on me and make sure I wasn't being turned. So there was like a whole thing that wow. unfolded behind my back that I didn't know about for a really long time. Uh, and the only way that I caught it was she was very passive aggressive towards, towards Sasha um, to the point where she would, anytime Sasha was in proximity to her, she would tell me that I needed to find a new wife. I would need to trade up to maybe a blonde, not a brunette. Oh, like wow. she was bold about that. And she never got Sasha's name right. She called her sausage. <laughs> and it's just <laughs> wow. such a fucked oh up God. thing to do. Uh, so, uh, my siblings and I, one time we went to the draft house, we went to a pancake theater show. We went to a Christmas show at that and they did a custom song for us and they sang us a song called grandma's a racist. And it made me feel a little bit better, uh, <laughs> but, but it was kind of great. Uh, that to be said, racism's fucked up. It comes in all forms. It doesn't just have to be based on skin color. It can be based on kind of nationality, what people associate you with in terms of ethnicity. You see it with Italian Americans as well. Irish. Uh, and Irish. Yeah. It's, it's all over the place. That's not to say that all racism and all pain is the same. I have to immediately back myself into this <laughs> kind of twist of like, I'm not equating all of these things. I'm just saying everything can be horrible in different ways. Yeah. Uh, it's important to be mindful of it and to, to try to, bring as much respect as you can to people uh, and remembering names and kind of respecting where they come from and not insulting that. But uh, all that to be said, the red scare impacted a lot of people and it carried yes, a it lot into the, to the modern day. It wasn't just a, we got past it. Cold war was over. The wall came down. We're all our, good. Our politics is still about McCarthyism and red scare shit. Like Absolutely. today it still is. It's just, it's wild. Well, honestly, we're just still fighting the same conflict. It mm. just feels like one long extended war. <laughs> yeah. Where it's like, you right? know, the, the way it manifests itself today is, is like, you know, everything that is not like far right is socialist, you know, and it's like, you mm -hmm. know, oh, we want to have a higher minimum wage. Oh my God, you commie bastard. Get the fuck out of <laughs> yeah. here. And it's just like, it's that red scare uh, terminology has just driven our ability to engage with each other into the ground. And it's just like, you can't have a conversation when everything is socialism, you know, it's just, it's wild. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's that, that and Nazi, you know, even to the other side, like mm -hmm. it just is, you know, so quick to call someone a Nazi or call someone a yes. communist and uh -huh. then not have to have like that just ends it. And there's no more conversation at that point. Yeah. Just escalating it to that of like, well, whatever your thought is, it's the worst possible thing. It's right, it's the same thing here. Crazy to see it like meta fold into itself because the strategy is no longer to call somebody a Nazi. Like you can call them a Nazi or a fascist. That happens all the time. But now it's gotten to the tactic where people try to anticipate that and you're like, you're probably going to call me a fascist or a Nazi right now. And you're like, mm -hmm. this has escalated like three <laughs> notches up too fast. <laughs> Let's just go to the library, everybody, and really do some research. Have some conversations, please. <laughs> um, okay. I, like you, yeah, I, know. I feel like if you say you're going to call me a Nazi, there's that, there's nothing that can follow that phrase that isn't the really Yeah, exactly. exactly. You're going to call me a Nazi, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just trying to say, just trying to get it out. Have there. you noticed this about the Jews? <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Um, yeah, I saw. Okay. Uh, we, we could potentially, we could potentially right. cut this, but I just saw today there was like a memo sent out by the, one of the Applebee's execs. That oh, said, okay. uh, yeah, this is a deep cut right here, wow. everybody. Get ready. When all you're you, here, your what, family. All you well, Applebee's fans. What low point? What <laughs> the low point? Oh, yeah, whatever. You know, 
those same chain Every restaurants. Every day's Friday. <laughs> You're at Applebee's. Applebee's has a stupid slogan. I don't remember what it yeah, is. Yeah, it's like, it's more like, bees, more fun, or some shit. I don't fucking care. <laughs> you can go to the neighborhood. That's, oh, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Yeah. When you hear uh, your family, same thing. Yeah. Same, yeah. same basic there idea. Same buzzwords. There was supposedly, <laughs> supposedly, there was a memo distributed by one of the execs that said, why the gas... Uh, price hike is actually good for us. It means that people are more desperate and willing to take a job at lower uh, wages. And it wow. was very formal. It was like four paragraphs. I read through that memo and was like, this person is completely deranged and detached from all of humanity. <laughs> and that is the corporate ladder, my friends. Yeah. So you climb further and further up so you can get farther away from the people on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it was Applebee's. I think it was Red Lobster that did the same thing the other way around about like how getting healthcare was not going to help their employees and why Obamacare was bad if it was going to make them have to give everyone healthcare. Yeah. Like how much that was going to raise the prices of all the food at Red Lobster. Oh, so many companies did that shit. Yeah. yeah. I, I can also say, I won't say what, but I worked for an oil and gas company and the CEO came you in bastard. and gave us all a nice <laughs> large talk about how cap and trade was going to ruin the goodness of oil. Oh no. <laughs> the purity of their fluids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, amazing. This, uh, the, that's the Earth's precious bodily fluid. That's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just, the Earth won't give you its essence if it has that. Uh, <laughs> um, all of that uh, aside, uh, would would you recommend? Let's just say it on three, right? We'll count it down. I have a good <laughs> feeling about this, right? Would you recommend Dr. Strangelove to somebody who hasn't seen it? Uh, three, two, one. Yes. yes. <laughs> there you have it, everybody. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, <laughs> yeah you should see it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't got a chance. <laughs> uh, and with that, we will take a break. Are you worried about a potential nuclear conflict with Russia? We understand your concerns. War with a nuclear power can seem like a scary proposition, but it's really not that bad. Russia's recent foray into Ukraine threatens America's stranglehold on foreign affairs. If American hegemony on world politics is compromised, or even slightly reduced by Putin's actions, he leaves us with no option but to respond with the full force of our nuclear arsenal. Can you imagine a world in which the dollar is not the reserve currency of every country on Earth? We can't. It would be better if the world didn't exist at all. Besides, your life has deteriorated so much from inflation, wage stagnation, offshoring, and climate change that nuclear annihilation would be a welcome relief from life's daily horrors. Nuclear war. It's the sensible solution. This message is brought to you by Northrop Grumman, fueling global conflict since 1994. Uh, all right. Ready? You got it? Yo, I'm the last Ready? to go, so I'll fuck it. Figure it out by the time Show you now. Okay. I can't believe uh, I can't find this. You'll find it eventually. I watched it. He watched the mysterious and unseen Rankin oh, wait, Bass no, film. Uh, <laughs> All right, I found it. I found it. I found it. Okay, Rudolph okay, fucks cool. Frosty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Presented by the Mormon Church. <laughs> um. Welcome back, everybody, to Recommend or Refute. I am, um, you know, fuck, why did I even start it off that way? <laughs> I'm your I? host again. I'm still your host. Uh, they're turning the frogs gay and they just immediately go down. I'm doing a coup. Yeah. I'm the host now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll start again. Fuck it. Um, we'll do it live, as we've always done. All right, Bill. 
Welcome back, everybody, to Recommend or Refute. You know the rules. We go around the table and we give you a film that we would recommend or one that we would tell you to refute, which means just don't watch it, please. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. Why would you do it to yourself? Uh, and Dixon, since you were the picker, uh, you get to tell us first. What did you watch? All right. So um, I had a very busy week this week. I had um, meetings all day, Monday and Tuesday, with some coworkers in from out of town. And this weekend, I finished my um, annual movie award post where I ranked all 144 2021 movies that I saw uh, and wrote a little bit about uh, dealing with my dad's passing. So uh, that's on Dixon00.medium.com if you want to check that out. Uh, but I was doing all that and I was very busy and I realized today I was like, shit, I haven't really watched anything else except Dr. Strangelove. So I found a list of movies on IMDb titled Great Movies Under 75 Minutes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nah, that's great. And I decided to watch. I found the third movie on that list was a movie that I've been wanting to watch for a long time. I hadn't gotten around to uh, called Man with a Movie Camera. It is a Russian silent documentary from 1929. Uh, now all of the listeners are turning the podcast off. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's directed by Ziga Vertov. Um, and he uh, basically just films in several, uh, what were at the time, Russian cities in the Russian Empire in 1929. Now they're in uh, modern day Ukraine, actually. Um, but it was just kind of filming life as it was happening in these towns. It's a 68 minute movie and it kind of just documents what it's like to live in an industrial city in the late 1920s. And just a really interesting movie, probably the most impressive editing that I've ever seen. I was really blown away by how it all came together. There were a lot of, um, you know, kind of experimental techniques with, uh, putting film on top of other film. There were some uh -huh. split screen shots that were really interesting. Um, it's just kind of, you know, there are different, there were six different chapters and they kind of all vaguely focused on different things. There was a lot of stuff about transportation, uh, about kind of factory work and machinery, uh, like vacation, sports, relaxation, different, different things like that, that are kind of about daily life for these people in, in these cities. Um, really well shot They're kind of the way it, it works is that there's this guy Phil, they, you know, there's a guy that they keep showing with a camera going around the city and filming these things and they will show a shot and you're like, Oh, that's a cool shot. I wonder how they got that. And then they will show a shot of the guy shooting that oh, shot, nice. which is pretty cool. Like you'll see um, like a car driving and it's moving, but you know, you're seeing it from a camera and they're like, Oh, I wonder where that camera is. And then they show from another car, they're filming the cameraman in one car with a tripod, like strapped down to a convertible standing in it, filming people in a convertible in the uh, lane next to them. Nice. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of um, interesting shots of like eyes looking through camera lenses and Ziga Vertov kind of had this philosophy of cinema where he wanted to strip away characters and narrative and dialogue and just have cinema be about kind of images and the universal language of just kind of showing images on a screen and how that can conjure emotional responses in people regardless of their language or, or background or the society that that they're from so mm. um it's a really fascinating film it's it's kind of hard to describe because it's it feels almost like a 68 minute montage of just kind of city life 
Um, Vertov worked with a symphony to design the score in kind of the way that he wanted it to be. It's a really interesting score that it's it's pretty tense and there's a lot of really fast editing and quick cuts and it works really well with the music. Um, and I was just kind of enthralled for 68 minutes. It was very quick, but super entertaining. Um, if you hear 1929 black and white Russian <laughs> silent film and it makes you want to kill yourself, um, like this is very engaging and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, did you see Battleship Potemkin? I was going to say Battleship Potemkin. I haven't. I know you, you recommended <laughs> oh, yeah. that to me. Uh, that was actually on that list also. Mm-hmm. But I had already purchased a Blu-ray of Man with the Movie Camera. I hadn't watched oh, it yet, go. so I, I chose mm-hmm. that one. Fair but enough. I know Potemkin is on my list of, of things to get to. Yeah. It's just a really good example of if you're like, oh, silent film that's that old can't have emotion or can't give me emotions or whatever's going to be boring. Uh, that thing's got, got so fucking good. emotions. Yeah, yeah. It's got a lot and it, it's got some it, really it, impressive crowd scenes it, too. Yeah. Some it's got some like, Oh yeah. It's then that era where they just took a camera and told a bunch of people to do stuff. And you're like, Oh man, definitely people got hurt. Doing there were no this. regulations. Around yeah. This. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I'm kind of fascinated by just, yeah, this is something that I really want to watch now uh, to go and find and seek out. Uh, if, yeah. if you don't mind, I'll borrow your copy. If Absolutely. You it's actually the, the Blu-ray has four films by Vertov on it. Oh, it's called like Man with the Movie Camera and other features. Hmm. And they're all pretty short. I think the longest one is like 78, 79 minutes. And then there's some shorter ones that are, uh, you know, less than an hour. But um, definitely happy to, to lend it to you. I watched Man with the Movie Camera today, but I'll, I want to get to the others soon. And then I'll, I'll bring it over here for you. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to derail too much of the conversation, but this kind of touches on something that I'm really fascinated by. I was talking with a friend recently about this, uh, um, how like modern day we're just oversaturated with the amount of media we can actually produce and record and like curate ourselves. We spend, you know, 10 to 20 minutes trying to get the right fucking photo of a piece of food uh-huh. and then posting it somewhere. Um, and uh, about two Christmases ago, I... Uh, digitized my dad's only family film, eight millimeter and did like full color adjustments and everything else made a Blu-ray for him of it. That's that's awesome. It's literally, you get like two minutes of a day every few weeks and you just watch that and it goes for about an hour. And that's all that a family had to go on. That was like at his, his family's like income level and everything. Mm -hmm. And I feel like those restrictions make those moments even more impactful And that builds up even more in my mind how impressive it is in 1929 you could fucking make something like this. And that's something that like I'm trying to figure out how to even impart that kind of knowledge or that kind of awareness to people who are just enraptured with I need to take like eight different videos of my baby trying to smile uh-huh. just to get a good post, which in itself is an ethical quandary to me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but That's why just, John just never posts of pictures of his children on, I on Instagram. I don't post any pictures of my children. <laughs> retaining That's their, right. their digital rights. I, uh, I delete <laughs> the videos that, yeah, whatever, Ryan, whatever videos your kids take, that's yours to have. I'm not going to post that shit. <laughs> um, it's, it's those kinds of things when I'm babysitting them or hanging out with them. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's just those moments where I'm, like, thinking about it and thinking about it. And watching those old silent films makes me think about it even more of, like, film was pretty fucking expensive. This technology Mm. was so cutting edge and and new in so many ways. And it's fascinating to look at it from that angle. And also just the consumer boom of things that happened and things that have come because of that. 
Uh, and all that to say, people out there, when you're recording a video on your iPhone, maybe just keep it. Maybe don't delete it. <laughs> just keep it and don't try to redo it and move on with your life and then come back to it later. Maybe it'll be special. Who knows? It's special because of the imperfections. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And it kind of when I was watching the movie, I kept thinking about how like how little film has come since 1929. You know, this movie's made 93 years ago. It looks fucking incredible. Like the, you know, it's like the equipment that we use to make film has changed a lot. You know, we don't have to hand crank the camera anymore. Like they should, you know, you see the camera guy right. cranking yeah. the camera. He's going movie. crazy. Hog yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we can record sound on site now and we can film in color and stuff like that. But, you know, you look at, what he was doing in 1929 and the film is fucking like I said I think it's the best editing I've ever seen like we have not improved on editing in 93 years and it's just it looks amazing it's like you know it's it's film like it looks great it's it's picture you know crystal clear and we haven't really improved upon the clarity of filmmaking in 100 years um you know obviously like movies that are made on film will age and be destroyed and sometimes it's hard to restore them and so sometimes older films won't look as good but if you find a good copy and you can you know digitize like they look incredible it's not like watching an old tv show or something like if you see actually something that was shot on film from forever ago like it looks it looks really great and um i was just thinking a lot about how the the equipment has changed a lot, but really how we get to, you know, to the end results, we haven't really improved upon that that much in the history of, of the medium. I think part of that too is, is that we, we end up getting more, we're more obsessed now with like the technique than the technology. The technology mm. is meant to optimize how fast we can capture certain things. You can digitally record it. You can take like a hundred different takes. Of course, there's opinions of like Tarantino likes to shoot on film because he thinks that it increases the intensity of the set. Everybody's more serious because you have limited resources there. Mm. Digital, however, you get somebody like, I think like David Fincher likes to take multiple yeah, kinds digital. of shots with digital and it kind of enables him. Uh, or you get a... Uh, uh, um, who is the cinematographer Deacons? Yeah, the, Roger the, Deacons. Roger Deacons, who says like digital's fantastic. I can get however many different shots I want to and get the right look I'm looking for. But there is kind of that like trade off of permanence and how much time you have to do these things. Uh, and past a certain point, you know, the cameras as they get smaller and smaller, you can fit them into more nooks and crannies. You're going to get mm. new angles and new ways to shoot things, but. Yeah, like the editing is always going to remain the same. We have the same kind of eye for like what kind of editing we want to do, whether we want to surprise and delight somebody with completely unconventional editing or whether it's something that narratively you want to cut together to trick somebody and have that illusion go on. So it doesn't surprise me that like something from old age, even thinking about Millet's, like mm. in, in his approach to adding special effects to his film, painting, the, uh, painting those <laughs> the frames, frames and everything, yeah. there, there's so much human ingenuity outside of the actual technical medium and the physical medium that goes into making it last, making it stay and have that staying power of like, yeah, this can stand shoulder to shoulder with something today. Yeah. I mean, to think that like the 1920s Phantom of the Opera is like four hours long film <laughs> is insane to me <laughs> that somebody did that for that long. They got like all the takes the right ish way yeah, and they did all these different angles and they got all the music to go with it. And I bet they weren't able to shoot scenes very many times, but Absolutely. Like yeah. that, that kind of crank house, just get it out and make it. Um, but still to make something that's you think about hours. like, like Alfred Hitchcock's rope, you know, yeah. like that was shot in three takes. It was made to look like one take and like how much, yeah. how much film did they fucking they have to use? Yeah. 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 It's crazy. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's that's fascinating. What was it? It was Man with the Camera. Man with a movie camera. Man with a movie camera. Everybody. Yep. Uh, you can rent it, I believe, through your tech monopoly of choice. But uh, yeah, I, I I thought it was was pretty incredible. So um, I, I I really loved it. Awesome. Uh, so the movie that I'm going to be talking about, first of all, I'm going to give a, a dishonorable mention <laughs> to a film that, that Ryan's kids made me sit through called Yes Day. What were uh, the options that you sent me? They, uh, <laughs> let me, let me pull that up real quick. Cause, Cause that's yeah, important. Cause whatever you listed, I'm like, I watched all of them probably within the last week or so. They, Except yesterday, <laughs> my family watched that one as I was like, I can go to the grocery yeah. store. now. Ella gave me the chance, <clears throat> the, the opportunity to watch turning red. Encanto, Jungle Cruise, and Spider-Man. Uh, no Way Home. No Way Home. Yeah. yeah, No Way Home. You didn't pick Turning Red? Of those yeah, which four. which you hadn't seen. Well, yeah, I told her. I haven't seen Turning Red. I haven't seen Encanto. I haven't seen Jungle Cruise. And she said, uh, let's watch Yes Day. Not one <laughs> which of the presented is, options. Yes. <laughs> to uh, pull the rug out from underneath Typical you. kid move. Subversion in favor of what I actually deeply want to watch and not what you are trying to get at. Yeah. Uh, Jungle Cruise <laughs> was my dishonorable mention last week. So. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so How yes, much does Ryan pay you to babysit his kids and watch these horrible movies? He doesn't. It's, <laughs> I, get, I get paid an experience, Dixon. I'm an intern. Oh. for his family program. Yeah. <laughs> this is like your process of determining if you want kids yeah yeah exactly there you yeah. go get no, it out of my it, system and be done with it it's a godfather pledge like i owe him uh, in the future are you yeah. the godfather a, i might as well be yeah at this point yeah, yeah. the closest person that comes and takes care of him yeah uh he'll call on me for favors i only wrote I only, I only wrote one line for this as my my review is looks like one netflix producer brought their kids to work on a yes day <laughs> And that's all I'll say about this movie. If you watch the trailer, you have the rest of it. Is this like like a yes man idea? Basically, where you just say yes but for, for parents, a day? but for yeah, parents, the parents have to say yes to everything the kids say all day long to prove that they're not uptight and stiff Which you, people. Off the top of that's your head, you're like that idea. can't last. Yeah, except for that murder is is outlawed. Do they make a <laughs> list of like what yeah, they can? They're do? like you can't murder. You can't do certain. Can't make two people uh, fall in love. Wait. Yeah, you can't. <laughs> You can't plan for things in the future. There's like a bunch of other stuff that they kind of like graze over. It doesn't yeah. matter. No playing ask. God and you're recreating tr- dinosaurs. Hey. You can't ask for more yes days. You're, <laughs> you're tricking me into talking about this movie. You're not going to do it. Not today, Satan. Uh, the movie that I did, in, in fact, watch uh, was Mom and Dad, uh, which is a gift from Dixon. Our yeah. very own Dixon. He got me a, a bundle of Nick Cage films. And uh, I John, made a, John loves Schlock so much, and absolutely. after P- he loved Pig so much, I was like, I gotta introduce John to some Nick Cage Schlock. Was, yeah. And you may have already seen lots of Nick Cage Schlock, and, and I know you said you didn't want to watch Pig because you didn't like Nick Cage. So, <laughs> yes, you know, I, I then gave you a bunch of Schlock Nick Cage Blu-rays. So. I've undergone a lot of character development since this podcast has started, <laughs> uh, and I found my rut that I've uh, comfortably nuzzled myself into, and it is a Schlock cavern. Um, and, uh, yeah. So Dixon gave me a group of Nick Cage films, uh, among them were like jujitsu and Willie's Wonderland. Uh, and what was the one? What was the other one that I, I always forget the name of it? It's so good. Line I, of fire. Something uh, I don't what no, it was. Um, <laughs> something with Kelsey Grammer in it. Oh, um, uh, that's Grand Isle. Oh, Grand uh, Isle. but there's another one that's really great. And I always forget the fucking name of it. And You'll that, that was the one you were like, should I watch mom and dad? Or should I watch this other one? I was like, oh, they're both really good. Uh, kind of up to you. 
on yeah. that one. Uh, yeah. It is called A Score to Settle. A Score to Settle. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Kelsey Grammer. Just like one of the all-time great Nick Cage rants in A Score to Settle <laughs> is, is wonderful. Uh, and so of those, I chose, uh, I, f- I rolled a die and let it. Let it land. It's a weird thing to roll a D20 to decide yes. what Nick Cage film to watch, but he's got enough of them. Odd or One even. of those is going to Yeah, exactly. Uh, and mom and dad came up. Uh, mom and dad, I'll just give you the quick, my quick sentence review, much like I did for yesterday. Uh, it's like if The Happening was a more compelling film and also an <laughs> SNL skit uh, at the same time in the sense that mom and dad as a movie doesn't really know how to end. <laughs> And it's about uh, the premise is pretty straightforward. It's about the there's journey, not the destination. Some, yeah, yeah, there's some kind of <laughs> virus or something. They literally the script even doesn't really identify what the hell is going on. It's just a crisis that happens, <laughs> mm-hmm. and for some reason, all parents are suddenly compelled to kill their children. Uh, they work uh, against their maternal okay. and paternal instincts. And Nick Cage and Selma Blair are parents who have regrets about raising kids. There's a a clear through line of this remorse and regret for I gave up my life so that I could bear children and that I could take care of them. And uh, now this thing is coming back. It's the great equalizer and it's trying to kill all children in this area (laughs) and uh, the wider United States, potentially the world. Who knows? The movie doesn't really scope it that well. Uh, all the movie does is show you a bunch of graphic scenes. Not not too graphic, though. They're all implied kind of of deaths that are happening. Random children. And it's absurd. It's cranked up to the max. Mm-hmm. It's a typical kind of movie you might expect Nicolas Cage to show up in as the human meme that he has become. <laughs> and uh, he gives it his all. Um, if you watch the movie, just know... Uh, you're ready to, to cheer when he says the saws all saws all <laughs> like, it's, it's something that he fucking pulls out of nowhere. <laughs> uh, but it's, it's yeah, it was, it was great up until the end, the end, much like an SNL skit did not know exactly how it was supposed mm-hmm. to end. Mm-hmm. It just gives up in the credits roll. So just be prepared, prepared for it to abruptly stop <laughs> at any point and you will exit the ride through the <laughs> gift shop and leave. You've, you've seen this movie now. <laughs> Uh, but that all that to say, I'd recommend it for how absurd and bonkers and off the wall it was. So yeah, I appreciate it, Dixon. I appreciate you giving me that. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, I remember I saw this in theaters when it came out and I remember I heard about it. I was like, oh shit, I got to go see that. And the only place that was showing it was Alamo village at like 11. <laughs> yeah, and it was showing for like three days and that was <laughs> it. And I went to go see it and I remember thinking it was a lot of fun. And I remember there being an absurd scene with Nick Cage involving a pool table where he oh, like yeah. goes crazy and goes on a, an insane cage rant that I really loved. But that's really about all I remember of the movie. I need to watch. I actually have it on Blu-ray too. And I, I need to rewatch it. There you go. Yeah. Uh, but I remember liking it. Yeah. Again, the ending, not a fan, the rest of it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Why not? Uh, yeah. Ryan. Cool. Uh, yeah. One of the things we watched <clears throat> that wasn't what you listed, <laughs> some of which <laughs> probably have been watched multiple times in my house. Uh, we watched a, an anime that's on Netflix distribution. They seem to be kind of pumping out anime now. Uh, straight through Netflix, there seems to be somewhat of an arms race between Amazon, Netflix, and what if Sony. They have more exclusives than we have. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> we they cannot have, have an exclusive game. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I will say Netflix doesn't seem to be making the best decisions on how they're doing that. I think they're just grabbing what they can grab. Got a yes day yeah. all the time around. Yeah. Right. So I watched. It was. It's called Child of Kamiari Month, uh, which what? has some. It had some <laughs> meaning that. I, 
the movie explained about the different months, and I still didn't quite understand what it was. Um, How do you spell that? K a m i a r i. Kami is a so ghost Kami is or god. A god. Yeah, yeah. God, and it had yeah. something to do with gods. It was these two different months. That something. Yeah. So the <laughs> the core of the story is there's a girl who seems to be in elementary school who whose school is running a marathon, which I wondered was a mistranslation. But anyway, apparently her school runs marathons. Uh, and she used to run with her mom, but her mom's passed away. Okay. And since then, she's kind of lost the love for running that she used to have. Uh, she kind of falls apart at the marathon because she thinks back about her mom and goes to this shrine and time freezes and she finds out that her mom was actually a god, the god of running mm. or something. And okay. that, Hermes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it was her job every year to collect all these offerings to take to the gods to feed the gods because if they don't, they'll have the Kamiari month. And if they do, they have another month, which is a good thing or something. It didn't, it was just a MacGuffin. <laughs> Easy enough, <laughs> to yeah. set up, yeah, to set up this uh, yes. journey of her finding herself <laughs> and yeah, yeah, finding herself and trying to reconnect with her mother, um, which it I would think like I thought getting into it about to that point I was like okay we're gonna hit some big like emotional beats as she gets over her grief or gets through her grief not really not like I would expect from you know a movie like this I thought it could do a little bit better um, it seemed like it had some interesting things to say but it never really got to him it kind of got lost in actually just like having fun running and collecting these items and having these various almost like fights or games with these gods to get their things and kind of just forgot what it was for. And at the end, just sort of rushed through being like, yeah, I can like running. Okay. (laughs) Uh, And kind of just like moving forward. There was this promise that kind of like the gods were like, yeah, you can see your mom if you deliver all those things. And then kind of like looking at each other and being like, yeah, that's not going to happen. I don't know why we said that. God's always So lying. then, yeah, she gets mm. there and finds out, like, yeah, that's not happening, but she's, like, okay with it. Like, but she's come, become accepting she because... She gets to see her mom through running the way her mom used that's to That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> running was her mom all along. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. exactly. And in yeah. the end, the moms was the we friends made. we made along the way. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> moms were the runs we made along the way. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I didn't find it particularly remembering, like, rememberable. I don't really remember the characters. I couldn't remember the, the name of it until I sat here and looked it back up. The animation. Yeah, Ryan was feverish flipping through his phone feverish. trying yeah, to like, figure out what yeah. the title was. I was like, how do I look up stuff I watched on Netflix? <laughs> um, the animation, I was funny because I looked at reviews for this and the critics are like, yeah, beautifully animated, whatever. It is not. <laughs> I think that's just what critics say about anime when they don't know what else to talk about. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's done by Lidden Films, who uh, in, in anime circles, they're the ones that worked on Terraformers and the recent Berserk. Uh, CGI oh, see, see, that's that's like known to be. I immediately awful. know what you're talking. About. Yeah, um, and a few other things that, that several things that recently have been the worst thing that year in anime. It isn't uh, CGI in the way like Berserker Terraformers are, where it's like nigh horrifying. It looks traditional animation. It's obviously it's not, but it's like a computer animation that looks like a regular anime. Yeah. But as soon as she's running and not right in camera, it just has like an unrealistic that uncanny. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, and it's the same, I think it's the same run animation. Like I think it's just reused so much. And I was just like, God, it was like, it's so cheap. I know anime can be cheap. Like that's kind of actually the point. 
Like efficiency. The, yeah, it's really about efficiency in its TV shows. But when you stop mm. to make a movie, that's when you are spending money. You're supposed to, yeah, really throw down. <laughs> You're supposed to bucks. make this look good. I'm, I'm flipping through some stills on IMDb, and it reminds me of the Pokemon TV show that I watched as a kid. Like, yeah. there is a Charizard-looking dragon and a Pikachu-looking rabbit. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it, it reminds the, me of that style. The the idea of, like, going and visiting each of these gods and potentially having an interesting design, now that you mention it, yeah, they pretty much all are just a Pokemon. Like, yeah. there's, like, the bull was a Tauros or whatever. There's, like, a, yeah, it, it's, they're not particularly inventive. <laughs> uh, they're somewhat vaguely based on some real gods, but... Yeah, there wasn't anything I was like, oh, this is really interesting or inventive way to do it. It really just felt like, even at a point, it just sort of like, and she ran to the other nine gods. Like, it didn't even <laughs> finish. It just, like, hashed through some more of them really quickly. So, yeah, yeah this one was definitely, like, kind of a a, a pass. Yeah. And and the, the part that gets me, like, what irks me is I, I sit there afterwards and I'm like, they went to the trouble for Netflix to get the international distribution rights for this damn thing to pay for it to dub it and i know netflix doesn't dub it into one language they, they dub it into several. a bunch yeah. of languages oh, yeah. and then i'm sitting there the, and i'm like the credits at the end of a netflix thing are always well, so fucking so many like languages a yeah 20 minute credit sequence because they have to list all the dub <laughs> actors yes that they have. yeah and, and then i'm sitting there knowing that there are things that i wish had distribution that are popular franchises that are getting nothing or yeah. they're brought over and they're just subbed which i have no problem with but they're things that actually my kids could watch that then don't have a dub, then they're wasting their time dubbing stuff like this. I was just yeah. kind of like, I, yeah, I don't even know. I, I think it was just because they could, Netflix could do it and know that nobody else had it. Like, I that have, was it. I have to wonder if it was part of a package deal. Like, if they had oh, to, could be, to yeah. acquire production rights to it and pay. That's how another company could recoup their costs. I if wonder. They thought yeah, I know it was, was like gonna cr- be something crowdfunded in one, somewhere. So I don't know who the parent company Oof. is, but yeah, maybe. Those crowds are disappointed, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, probably. I don't know. Sometimes you, you get into a in for penny and for pound. I'm sure they loved it. <laughs> it, it, was, it was their vision. It was inspiring. <laughs> Stunning yeah. and brave. Yeah. So this, uh, yeah. <laughs> this one's kind of a pass. There's, there's definitely better things on Netflix. I'm sort of mildly excited for the Funimation, Crunchyroll, Sony merger clusterfuck uh, that maybe monopoly. I'm, I'm, I'm probably setting myself up yeah. for disappointment. Sounds Maybe it'll create yeah. <laughs> a good platform, but the, uh, yeah. it's likely that it'll be like, I was waiting for you to add more names to it. <laughs> AT&T, yeah. Time Warner, whatever. Yeah. Likely Disney. it'll, it'll, yeah. it'll be like the HBO Paramount thing that's coming up and just be like, well, which of these is the worst streaming platform? And we'll put everything on that one. <laughs> yeah. Where do I, how do I tune how my I rabbit these ears controls to worse? the pirate yeah. station? <laughs> So yeah, it's a pass. Uh, what is that movie again? <laughs> Child <laughs> so of can... Kamiari Month. Yeah, uh, Kamiari Month means like God's Month or something is yeah, supposed I, to be what it means. Yeah, I think it's like they there's some month. I don't know. There's some like good month and bad month. Is Kamiari the is the good ch- or the bad one. I don't remember. Is it Okana's the Child the of Kamiari one? Month or the Child of Kamiari <laughs> Month? Child of Kamiari Month. Like the it's month. The month is, of the, the month is Kamiari. <laughs> is the yeah. child a, a descendant of a, a calendar delineation? Well, I mean, obviously. No, she was born in the month. Because she was, she was born, born in the a, month. A, a yeah. running god, gotcha. obviously. The running messenger. Yeah, the running messenger during the month that the food gets delivered. And there's like a, yeah, I can. The yeah, DoorDash god? <laughs> god? Yeah. What's fun is that that's less ambiguous in Japanese than it is in English. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
uh, well, cool. I'm glad I'm not going to watch that yeah, movie. Thank you for If my kids bring it up, that. it's better than yesterday. I didn't Is watch it? yesterday. Did I know it's that? better than yesterday. <laughs> they subjected me to something worse than this film. <laughs> I, I don't know if we watched this before yesterday. Oh, okay. Well, now they know. And John, do you yeah, ever suggest films to Ryan's kids? Yes. Oh, yeah, probably. Dr. Strangelove. It may be a little above the, what they, they, they should be engaged in. We never well, too young well, to learn about nuclear arms. We, we did watch a YouTube video that showed each of the different explosions possible of the nuclear weapons that oh, existed wow. or could exist. Uh, which is horrifying, but, yeah. I, but I subjected my children to the, and I, my son's question of course was why do we have a bomb that's that much bigger than the bombs that we've dropped? One, one thing like, that yeah. we didn't talk about in, in strange love is like the opening narration is like, you know, there's these 34 B 52s circling Russia two hours from their targets, all carrying 50 megatons of nuclear weapons, which each individual bomb is equal to 16 times all of the bombs that were dropped in World War II. Yeah, it's like yeah, in yeah. 1962 or three, whenever we had that capability, like today, it's like fucking wild. You know? Oh like, yeah, it's even more. Yeah, you just destroy the whole place with one of them. Yeah, my my kids' minds were blown when they were showing like the the nuclear explosion that was bigger than Mount Everest, and then the thing uh, zooms out and goes to like and a modern nuclear bomb, like it just blew the other ones yeah, out of the water. Yeah, and then it just keeps going and there are modern nuclear water. bomb reaches saturn <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it did it did uh it did end with being like a, a mega volcano would be larger than anything we could build oh so you like, mean oh, uh, right, yellowstone feel, yeah and then they were like or, or faithful or they're like or a <laughs> yeah. tiny asteroid could hit us and would be even worse than that and i was like all right well you know yeah. at least god could kill us better than us yeah <laughs> <laughs> don't look up <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh yeah, that was, uh, we didn't. We mentioned the crawl, but we did not mention the megatons mm. <laughs> with it. Uh, but yeah, um, so cool. You have uh, a, a man with a camera, a man with a film camera, a man, man with a movie, man, camera. man with a movie camera. camera. Always, I'm trying to get it. We'll get it one mm. of these days. Man with a movie camera. Mom and dad recommends and this Kami month, of Kamiari month, child of no, Kamiari month. No, don't. Please <laughs> don't, everybody. Uh, and there you have it from the the. Underground Table, again, I have been your host, uh, John Garcia, with me as always. Ryan King, protecting our precious bodily fluids. <laughs> and and Michael Dixon, stealing other people's <laughs> precious bodily fluids. <laughs> 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 Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Knights of the Underground Table. That's night as in the opposite of day, not British douchebags with swords. We've reached that time in the episode where we beg you to interact with us online because we are profoundly lonely people. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at N-O-T-U-T-Pod. Check out the Knights of the Underground Table Facebook page. Is there a movie you'd like us to review? Email us at knightsoftheundergroundtable at gmail.com. Did you disagree with John's asinine hot takes in this episode? Leave us a voicemail on Anchor and tell him just where he can shove his awful opinions. We'll play it on the podcast. Check out the episode description for more details. 
Subscribe to the podcast on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever the hell you podcast. Rate and review us on the platform of your choice, but only if you like what you hear. If you don't like the podcast, rather than leaving a negative review, please kindly go find another podcast. And thanks again for listening.